Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fall off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through. He'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette <laughs> hey. Drive Through. Why are you already making me laugh? What's wrong with you over there? <laughs> go on, go on. Welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive Through. I'm your host, the great Brian Lass. We're going to have a lot of fun today. It's been promised. <laughs> Once again, I'm your host, and here he is, the star of the show, Mr. Jim Cornette. Oh, just, if, if the, if the oh, people, yeah. oh, shoot up here amongst us, because one of us needs a little relief. If the people could only hear the preamble to when we actually go officially on the air, where you had just finished, ah, it's, it's complete up, it's bizarro world day, I'm in a shitty mood, I'm cranky and pissed off, and you're just happy and giggling. And then tape rolls, and hello, friends. And you are, you sounded like Edward Everett Horton there. Hello, friends. Say, so look, Google that one, kids. I'm a you'll professional. Fi you'll figure out you've heard. Everybody out there has heard Edward Everett Horton's voice, and they have no idea what his name is or, or to put that name together with that, if that impeccable, that monolithic, that that iconic voice. Now he did the voiceovers for TNA, correct? Oh, Jesus Christ. No, that was what that was. I'm fucking with you, but what was that guy's James, name? James Earl Ray. No. What? No. No. He, no. He was incarcerated in Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. It was a, Van Earl Wright, not James Earl. See? You know, the, the the Earl and the Wayne middle names for famous assassins and serial killers have pretty much co-opted those names for everybody else is trying to lead a life of religious freedom and go about their business in an honorable and legitimate way. Earl and Wayne? Earl and Wayne. Well, John Wayne Gacy. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right? Yeah, that's true. Go go look up and, and you'll find a lot of serial killers criminalistic types and perpetrators of various nature have the middle name Wayne. You know you're in trouble when they go to the middle name. It's like when your mom yeah. yells your name. As soon as they introduce the middle name, you're fucked. Well, I've told you for years, till I was like 12 years old, I thought my middle name was Dammit. Jimmy Dammit! That's the way she'd call me when, I, when she was upset. Well, anyway, it's your program. It is. I, have you heard? Have you heard on the news 
about the the uh, you know they've they've got such great modern technology these days, and everybody wants me to get the smartphone, right? Stace has finally given up on that on that uh, request. She realizes it's a hopeless cause, but other people, oh, you ought to get a smartphone. Have you heard about the new the new big fancy iPhone? It's so smart. It's so intelligent. It's so perceptive that it actually it can detect when it's on your body or your person in some fashion and you're in a car wreck, it can detect that and it will call 911 for you. Did you hear about Did you read about this? No, I don't know anything uh, about this, no. You know what else it does? What's that? It calls 911 and calls the police for you if you're on a fucking roller coaster, apparently. <laughs> that people in fucking with these new iPhones are flooding the 911 calls every time they get on a fucking roller coaster. That's amazing. I had not heard about that. And they're and they're they're basically asking the people with the iPhone, they're gonna have to do something about this or disable something or change something. But there has to be if you are on a roller coaster, like I don't know, leave your iPhone number twenty-seven, whatever they're up to, in a fucking bag somewhere with a trusted confidant. Instead of, which goes to show you. Why I don't ride roller coasters because it's the equivalent, at least to the super smart little iPhone, of being in a goddamn car wreck. I prefer to stay away from both of those things. I've had enough trouble this well. What are you all pissed off about anyway? Why I'm in a good mood and I've had a shitty two and a half days since I've spoken to you last what are you pissed off about you sound very cranky and i think the listener at home probably thinks i sound very pleasant so maybe you're just making this whole thing up and maybe no no trying to shift maybe the blame no me. maybe it's just that you're just just phony in your delivery hey. and i i just i'm vehement about my delivery whether i'm positive or negative it just that makes me sound cranky, cranky I've, had a, I've had a rotten couple of days and stace had a couple rotten couple of days too we both had a rotten couple of days you blaming your chair yeah, again let's, let's focus on me this chair is pissing me off and it's time that i have to get a new one again because now it's like rocking back and forth as it makes noise i don't know if you can hear that of course we can hear it. You, it sounds like oh shit. This is loose. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh fuck. All right. Well, I'll deal with this later. It sounds like poor old Grandma Pile on the uh, on the mattress springs up in the attic with Grandpa. Okay. Is that? Is, I didn't watch Gomer Pile. Is that what happened on Gomer Pile? Well, you never know. His grandparents came to visit, and they <laughs> went out into the attic. I don't know. I've, I made that one up. All right. I'll get back on that one later. But uh, so you're mad at your chair. Let me tell you what happened to me and Stace, for that matter. On Monday, I'm I, we got to get up early because I get up early anyway, right? But we got to go take her to the doctor. For those who have asked, thank you. She's still having problems with her back. Uh, it's better somewhat than it used to be a few weeks ago or several weeks ago, only because that was like complete misery. So now it's just intermittent misery with a chance of minor pleasantness every once in a while. But she's got to go get a shot in her back that they're doing to deaden some nerves and find out, I don't know what the fuck, right? I'm not going to give her a whole medical chart here, but she's got to have a big shot in her back. When you go over there first thing in the morning, they give you the 
the shot of something to relax you so that you're not trepidatious nor climbing the wall when they bring the bigger needle in and give you the right. So we get up early in the morning. I notice that, well, it's chilly because Louisville, Kentucky now, since the weather has been completely ruined, it has it's rained less than two tenths of an inch in the last month. But now it's alternately 80 degrees in some afternoons and in the upper 30s in the morning. So I noticed it was colder than it should be in the house that I look and son of a bitch, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Not me. My brand new, the newest one, one of the furnaces is blowing, but it's not heating. And now we got to go to the doctor. So as soon as we get back, I'm going to have to call and address this. We go over there, get the shot shots they they even give her a free wheelchair ride out to the curb uh after it's like the heart attack grill in phoenix only without the gooey cheesy goodness and the cattle byproduct so then we get back home i call the uh furnace repair people it's under warranty and, and by the way i've mentioned them tom drexler call the plumber whose name is his number and they're going to get right over. Well, meanwhile, she's going to sleep off the stuff that's calmed her down. And as soon as I start boxing the figures, and by the way, folks, yes, indeed, if you have skin in this game, if you've ordered an action figure, September 17th, the on-sale date was the onslaught, and I am only about 300 orders shy of filling everything that was ordered September 17th. And then things will start picking up accordingly. But feather bottoms are on a case. Anyway, I digress. I start signing the figures. And then here comes the regular contractors for the ongoing remodel project. And I ask, answer a few questions, go back to signing figures. And then here comes the furnace repairman. They're that quick. And Brian, I'll have you know that not only did I have an open limit switch, but I also had an EE2 code. So right there, what the fuck? What does that mean? Exactly. So while he's working on that, I go back to signing the figures. And as soon as he gets finished, he gets the heat up and running. By the time he gets the heat up and running, it's about 74 degrees outside. But the point is for the future. I bid him a cheery good day. And I hear Stace yelling for me. Baby, baby. And I won't go into all the details. But unless the hour and a half that she was outside our home here and in the midst of the general population at this one doctor's office, there was like three people in the waiting room and four people working there. Either the shot shots that they gave her or somebody else gave her in that time period, the worst stomach flu that she's had in 10 years. And I was requested to bring some supplies to clean some things up. And so that was hectic. And she had took her like 36 hours for this whole thing to pass. And <clears throat> we won't go into, into any more details about that. But meanwhile, I'm trying to box these figures. <laughs> and uh, I'll have you know that uh, that's why that... Uh, we are a little bit late with this program, even though it's your show. I didn't want you to take all the heat. We're a little late with it this week because we had a variety of things going on that delayed 
my ability to come in here and be cheerful. But I came here to be cheerful, and I expect you to be as well here, despite the fact of your squeaky chair, which many people have brought up to you that you could get some 10W40 for that. I wouldn't say many people, and I think it's beyond that. I think it's just actually broken, and it's in the process of falling apart. And I just Is it to... 10W40, or is it... No, it's WD-40 on your chair. Whatever it is. It's 10W-40 that you'd want to get from Rock Auto. All right. Or you could just use a little elbow grease. Elbow what grease. About, that's, that's what Mama Cornette used to say. Just put, use a little elbow grease on that. That means fucking put some goddamn sweat into it. So sweat into what? Into putting that thing together right. You're, you're I put it together right. It fell apart. It's falling apart. The chair I am sitting in is is 15 years old. You're not as I mobile as me. Chair. I bounce around. I move around. I try to <laughs> lean to one side. I lean to the other side. <laughs> I'll have you know I lean to one side. Your chair Matter doesn't fact, shift? Every once in a while, I'll lean to the other side just for a change of pace. <laughs> and I'm I'm bopping around back and forth right now. You can't hear a thing. This it this is chair is quiet as a mouse pissing on cotton. What's your what's your definition of bopping? What are you doing? I'm bop. I'm well. Play me a tune here. You're bopping around. All right, Quincy. What I'm are you doing? I'm bopping around in a chair. I'm little bebop. Hey, <laughs> you know I'm 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 hey. I tell you what. Shucking, jiving, moving, grooving, take a pill. I will go over the hill like Jack and Jill. 275 pounds of sweet, loving, hugging, squeezing, pleasing, baby blue-eyed soul. I'm ready to bop, baby. All right. So anyway. Hey, did you hear about this? Angela Lansbury passed away, what, yesterday, day before yesterday, whenever the fuck people hear this, it'll be a few days. 96 years old. I have lust in my heart for Angela Lansbury. You ever seen her in Gaslight? Uh, I don't know if I have. I mostly you, know her from you've Murder, had She to Wrote. Have seen, you've had to have seen Gaslight. My grandmother liked Murder, She Wrote. That was on TV. Oh, that and the Golden Girls. I'm talking about the classic movie Gaslight that she made her screen debut in at the age of 19 and played the the maid that was dallying with the master of the house who was trying to convince... Who the fuck was it? Ingrid Bergman that she was out of her mind. You you've never seen the movie Gaslight. I don't think I've seen it, no. Oh my, where do you think the term gaslighting comes from? When you are The furnace? The term gaslighting comes from this guy who was trying to convince in Victorian era in the Victorian era when they still lit the homes by, by gaslight, right? And that's a it plays a very important plot point. I won't spoil you the whole thing if you haven't seen it, but he tries to convince his wife that she is going insane, and he's dallying with Angela Lansbury, who was hotter than a $2 pistol when she was 19 years old, which apparently because she passed away at 96, was nigh on to 80 years ago. So I'm sure some things drooped shifted and dried up but still you gotta respect her when she was young she and, and and quite a quite a wonderful lady well respectfully i'm looking at pictures right now she just looks like angela lansbury when she was young it doesn't look like a different person i mean to each their own but i mean she's not you're making her sound like she's she had attitude 
Lana Turner or something. Well, I'm just, I'm telling you, he, <laughs> she pulled the master of the house away from Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman or Ingrid Bergman or chef crafted recipes or whatever the fuck we got going on in this program. All right. It's yours. Take it away. Well, we have some big news that we're going to start here with, because this will put us in the good mood. Bob Barnett, famed wrestling tape trader, attorney, scenester, troublemaker. He's done it all. One of the OGs from back in the 80s. Uh, 80s and 90s, and he's one of my uh, very good friends, and he's recently reemerged on social media. And if there was anything to make him post something, this was it. It's an article, and actually, there's a news report. We may have some audio here we can play from San Francisco. The headline, San Francisco aims to collect bill from 1993, man fight City Hall. There's a quote, I'm not paying a dime. Let's hear some audio from the newscast. This is NBC in the Bay Area. Okay, tonight we respond to a former San Francisco resident who's fighting City Hall over a very old bill. Yeah, old as in the 1990s, back in our college days. Yeah. <laughs> That's old. Let's bring in our consumer investigator, Chris Kamura. Chris. Good evening. This is a government gripe. One man's weaving tale from the 90s to today with an eye-opening lesson for everyone. I'm going to stop right now. You have any thoughts? Without saying it out loud, do you have any thoughts where this is going? I have no clue where this is headed. All right, this is going to pop me and you and like 50 other people and everyone else is just going to have to play along. Okay. It's the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened to me. And I, I've been around pro wrestling and that's about as oh. ridiculous as it gets. In the 90s, Mike Leno snapped pro ah. photos of pro wrestlers duking it out. Now he's going to the mat with the city of San Francisco over <laughs> this tax bill. I'm not paying a dime because I don't owe it. Dr. Leno's day job in the 90s was dentistry a small practice at Sutter and Stockton. Each year, the city billed him a business equipment tax called unsecured property tax. Recently, Dr. Leno got a collections notice. After 28 years, they're claiming I was late by X amount of days. The bill shows the city charged him a $36 penalty in 1993. Then through the Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden years, that 36 bucks has mushroomed with interest and fees to more than 450 bucks. Here's the hitch. Leno insists he paid his bill on time in person in 1993, and he says he's heard zilch from the city in 28 years. No emails, no calls, nothing. Until now. The city told us it has 47,000 unpaid tax accounts, totaling $146 million due. The oldest accounts are... I'll stop it here forever. <laughs> They haven't called. They haven't written. No one has said anything. But Dr. Mike Lano, or at least when he they was a doctor. They were probably scared he'd get back with them. <laughs> and then they'd start getting those envelopes with all the weird serial killer-like <laughs> scribbling on the sides and in the margins of pages copied at random from miscellaneous publications that were not germane to the communication. And stuff like that. You know, it really is an amazing, if you look at it like wrestling, it's an amazing story. Here you have a kid who grows up in Los Angeles, going to the Olympic Auditorium, hanging out with the children of celebrities, falls in love with wrestling, eventually moves to San Francisco, and I believe in his time there, didn't he want to get banned for life from the cow palace? <laughs> Because he got into a fight with the new owner after that disastrous convention. 
And now he's fighting the actual, he's fighting City Hall. Maybe this is like a L.A. San Francisco thing. And now I believe he moved away from San Francisco. I, I like the way they, they glossed over in the 90s. His day job was a small dental practice. I wonder, what is the dental board of officials called? Could we could we check back with them out there and see what year it was that his license was revoked? Well, it was in the 90s. So, I mean, there is some yes. truth to some of whatever is going on. Anyway, you know, and here's the thing. You know, maybe because we, we all know that Mike Leno lives in several realities at the same time. He like it occupies different planes at the same time and different dimensions. Maybe in whatever dimension he was occupying that day, he went in and paid the tax bill, but it was an alternate universe and the one he's in right now never got it. Yeah, he's saying he said he paid in person. Is there any sort of receipt? Is it just like I remember going in there and I talked to a woman? Well, but here's the thing. I'm the only person that would have a receipt from 28 years ago. You that can't blame him for that. No, we can't. Of course, I would I would actually have notated on the receipt the woman's name and probably gotten her phone number and written down a description of the clothing she was wearing. But, but however, if there was a receipt, more than likely Mike Lena would have used it and written on it to send it with something to someone for no yes. good reason. <laughs> hey, so it's probably out there. A note to so if you've ever gotten... It'll, like you said, maybe 60 people out there now are just rolling because you had to have the whole Leno experience of knowing and or uh, associating. But maybe somebody out there has it because he wrote them a note of, of sending them pictures and then asking them to credit him when they use the pictures that he sent that they didn't ask for. That weren't his to begin with. That in some cases weren't his to begin with. Or that's... Poor Kit Parker. That's the reason why that some of the uh, rest of the uh, Wrestling Gold releases, well, the ones that uh, Wrestling Gold series that we did in the '90s, the Smoky Mountain and the OVW stuff, have a couple pictures on the cover that people that aren't on any of the program anywhere inside because he thought that when I asked him, I said, "Do you need any pictures or anything for the DVD covers?" He said, "No, I got the guy from the magazine." I thought he meant like Bill After, right? He was Leno. Leno was sending pictures of people that weren't even on the fucking <laughs> program. And they, so his. I didn't know that. Yes, yes. That was just like four or five years after Leno got me booked in Japan. Um, all he had to do was, I've told this story on a program, but there's new listeners. In. What was it, 19... I just left uh, Crockett, or left WCW, Turner Broadcasting. So it had to be 1991, right? That would have been the year that Universal was was happening, so yeah. Yeah, still living in Charlotte, and it was UWA, Universal Wrestling Association Alliance, whatever. It was a lucha group running shows in Japan. And they were using legitimate lucha talent from Mexico, but they were flying them over and they were running the shows in Japan. And Leno writes me a letter that says, oh, you could be their booker. And now besides the fact I'm well, already, no, I'm setting up, well, go ahead, what? I may remember the story slightly better just because I remember one okay. detail that you got. He didn't write you a letter. He saw you at the Goodhart show and he started That's pitching right. you on it face That's to right. face. 
because I, I knew I didn't ever visit Mike. We didn't hang out together in our personal lives. So I figured he wrote, but no, it was, he wrote a letter for me is what he did. Yeah. Anyway, he said, you can be their booker. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't speak Spanish or Japanese. And I'm in the process of setting up Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but I obviously didn't tell him that. But I said, I'm I'm fine, Mike. I don't, and I'm not going to Japan and I don't speak Spanish. I don't know anything about their talent. And, but thank you for thinking of me. So a couple months later, however long it was, I'm sitting there at my house in Charlotte and the mail comes and I get a letter from, and was it, was it Shinma? It was Shinma. Yeah. It was Shinma. <laughs> that was the guy that was the money behind it, right? And who was a fairly <laughs> famous and infamous name in Japanese wrestling. It was Shinma was involved with the Noki and was higher up in New Japan. And then I get you know this better than I do. The one foot in front of another. He was ousted and say in the scandal also, right? Financial scandal with Sayama, Tiger Mask, the original Tiger Mask, revealed shit. You know, there's a whole lot of interesting stuff, and a lot more has come out in recent years, and I don't want to go down a side road too much with this, but right. when the scandal happened, and Inoki was in trouble, and Shinma took a lot of the hit, even though Inoki did too, and they started the UWF with Maeda, and his crew, and Fujiwara, and then of course you had Sayama as the Super Tiger. There is now a belief that Inoki actually was behind it. That he set up his own second group with the idea of bringing them back, which eventually happened. But different things happened with Sayama there, Shinma there, and eventually Maeda, Takata, Fujiwara, a bunch of those guys jumped back. But there is a belief now that Inoki was, for at least <laughs> a time, supporting. And it makes a lot of sense, too, because... Why in the middle of New Japan's deal with WWF did Shinma get Maeda and the UWF on WWF uh, house show tours? You know, it just... Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things. So he set up his own opposition so he could bring them back together. Well, smart man. But anyway, so Shinma at the time, uh, financing this lucha group in Japan. And I get a letter from Shinma said, Mr. Cornette, thank you for your communication. I haven't communicated that with them. The only human being that has had this idea that has mentioned that I should have this position that thinks that somehow this is a thing that should happen is Dr. Mike Lano. And he was trying to, oh, they're very interested in you. Why? Why would they be interested in me, right? I'm an American manager. So anyway, I get the letter from Shinma, and he says, maybe... Uh, apparently, Leno has written the letter like I'm asking him for the job, just like that Leno was pitching me that they were interested in me for the job. So Shinma writes back and basically says, maybe we we fly you over to see our tour and then discuss. Like, maybe we'll bring you over to see if you know who any of these people are and what the fuck it will go from there. Trying to let me down easy for something that I didn't want to begin with. And then I had to write Shinma a letter back because I felt bad. And I said, sir, I am so sorry, but apparently someone has contacted you on my behalf. And it's not that I'm disinterested in your promotion, but I'm currently otherwise occupied. 
Didn't Wally Yamaguchi also call you on their behalf to actually set up the dates? And get yes. <laughs> yes. He's calling. He's like, I understand you want to come over. I'm like, well, no, Wally. I, but as soon as I mentioned the name Lano, he was, oh, you know, Wally was, oh. It would have been great. Those Japanese magazines at the time would have just had you sitting in the crowd watching. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been amazing. I would have just said, okay, everybody in blue, you go over tonight. Everybody in green does the job. If you're wearing red, you're the heel. That's what <laughs> And surprising news this week, Jim Cornette is managing Negro Casas in Japan. <laughs> no one saw this coming except Mike Lano. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I told you this would get us in a good mood. Well, I was already there, but thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And there is the uh, hijinks of wrestling's one-time dentist, Dr. Mike Lano, an important part of the wrestling ecosystem. It's not just the wrestlers that do wacky stuff, but lots of wrestlers do, Jim. And on that topic, let's address this here at the top of the show, or at least 30 minutes into the show. <laughs> this clip that everyone's sending around, because of course, if, as soon as anything wacky happens in wrestling, they have to send it to us nonstop. The video of a man apparently being pinned by a dog. What are your thoughts on this and the fact that something like this goes viral? And uh, in case you need to see it and haven't seen it and have ignored the tweet. You've sent it to me. I've also emailed it to you just in case. Yes, and I thought I had successfully uh, avoided this. Yes, like 500 people tweeted me, what do you think? Or have you seen this or your comments on this or whatever the case over the past couple of days? And since I've had other things going on, I successfully, I saw a dog in the ring. I said, this is not something I want to see. I, I don't want to get mad at a dog. It's not the dog's fault. There's going to be some foolishness and I don't want to, you know, see what it was, but now you're asking me about it and you have sent it to me and you're, it, requesting that i watch it so i'll i'll click on it is there any any preface for this that we need or whatever i know there's a dog in the ring and man wrestles dog is all i've heard no there's no other preface that i could give you because i don't know where this is who these people are what this is a part of and let's keep it that way we don't and, need to give them any publicity and let's also make sure we do and by the way it looks like you're trending right now for some reason but let's oh, also make God. sure that we note for the record, for those of you that just listened to the visual and Jim Cornette's reaction, there aren't that many people here. It appears to be in either a shutdown mall or <laughs> or a Walmart or something, or one that maybe just has uh, wrestlers versus dogs on weekends. I'm really not sure where this okay, is. Okay, well, I wait a minute. I've clicked on it here. Hold on. How do you make the screen bigger on this, or can you? Well, it looks like... I don't know if it's a Walmart. It looks like it's an outlaw Walmart. It looks like maybe, you know, that it, it was a, a Walmart type of building at one point, but now maybe there's, like you said, just a flea market or something in it. And apparently this thing has gotten 442,000 likes. <laughs> Well, so it's 34 seconds. You want me to just go ahead and watch the goddamn thing? And I'm going to watch it with you. I haven't watched it yet either. Uh, well, then in that case, then then we'll we'll just goddamn watch it together. All right. You tell me when to hit play. 
Hit play whenever you want. Wait a minute. Is, is that the other page? <laughs> the wrestler, not the dog? No, that's The not, dog's kind of cute. That is not Ethan Page, no. It looks like him. Well, all right. Whatever all you right. want to say about him, we've never seen him wrestle animals, so I don't think he would do this. Well, at least we haven't seen it in public. All right, tell me when to hit play. One, two, three, hit play now. And there's a a dog with a red-headed woman. Oh, it's a cute little white and gray dog, and it obviously is not happy about being in there, so the girl that owns it has to, again, she, he jumps up on the wrestler, and the wrestler takes a bump, and now he jumps up on the wrestler's back. Well, my dogs used to do this when I was a kid. If you get on your hands and knees, they'll jump up on your back. And he jumped on him, and and he's got his feet on his chest, and he's pinned him. Well, that's just swell. Why is that not interference? The redheaded woman ran in. Well, uh, yeah, the manager's in the ring. It should have been a disqualification. Um, I mean, you know, why would why? What is the the reason why that this guy would want to do this if he is an actual wrestler or thinks he's an actual wrestler. Obviously, if he was an actual wrestler, he wouldn't be involved in this show. But what's the reason for him to take phony bumps for a dog and shit on the building? Even if it's, if it's the dog's birthday, the dog doesn't want, look like it wants to be in the ring to begin with. So it's not like you're doing something for the dog. It looks like the dog's a little nervous of the people until the redhead gets in the ring because the redhead is mommy. But so did this guy buy boots and tights and say, I hate the wrestling business. So I'm going to make a joke out of it in front of as many people as will sit and watch me, which apparently is 36. There's other people walking by in the background, but it looks like they're just walking to craft booths and are not a part of this. There's literally like, well, maybe 28 people sitting there paying attention to this. Give them credit. It'd be hard if I was going from like the candle shop to the coffee guy and I saw, hey, there's a guy in a ring with a dog. What the hell's going on? I may stop and see what's going on. Well, see now, the, the redhead is holding the dog's head. But the other guy ain't doing his job properly. He's taking phony bumps. Well, of course, Outlaw Mud Show shit happens at what visually appears to be an Outlaw Mud but, Show here. But let me ask you this. But but I'm just, what what is this guy's purpose? What is his reason for this? Why would you do this? Even if you're just a play wrestler that works for free on weekends in fucking flea markets like this, why are you doing it if you don't? have some respect for it and 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 want to be involved in it and you're doing something that if you do it right and if you do it wrong punishes your body so you instead of going out and like guys used to do living their weekend warrior fantasy of being a real professional wrestler even though they got a job at a plumbing company and they would try to tell their co-workers everybody how tough they were and that they were Pro wrestlers, now these guys want to make wrestling look as silly and phony and stupid and as easy to do for anybody as possible. Where is What is the psychology there? You know, I think, unfortunately, there is a generation of people who came up as wrestling fans and got involved with wrestling and their mentality, and I think a lot of it comes from the stuff they grew up watching on WWE TV and then the various promotions copying uh, in less effective fashion, some of the bad <laughs> shit from WWE TV, the idea that 
anything is acceptable in a wrestling ring. It's a canvas where as long as there is some sort of physical activity, it could involve animals or lightning or fire or all sorts of crazy shit. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't see that as disrespecting the business. They see the business as being a clown show where anything is possible. Well, and that's and you can tell the ones that see the business as a clown show. And those are the ones that we generally uh, rail against here on this program, because that's not just limited to the small budget promotions either. But use anything physical. It can involve animals that say you didn't want to. You didn't want to Google that the other day when I asked you to. Things physical, it could involve animals. What would you want me to Google exactly here? I'm just talking about you didn't want to Google it earlier. Right, but you but used that to yeah. compare it to something. Yeah. What? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's. I would actually, I would say that I've seen a, vi- a few videos involving people getting physical with dogs that were more entertaining than this one. So you got that going for you too. I don't know. Maybe this. I don't know if you have anything going for you there with that, but let me ask you this. You know, that was the thing one time there was a tape going around in the eighties that every time a a guy would watch it at home when he was all by all alone by himself, he would realize that there was a dog somewhere in Germany that had a more interesting and varied sex life than he did. Again, I don't know if these are the kind of tapes, uh, that everyone was getting, but let me ask you this. You have seen Bob what? Barnett may have No, have Bob seen. Barnett has nothing to do with that, <laughs> goddammit. Oh, he was a different kind of tape trader in the 80s. Let me ask you this. You've seen other working dogs. <laughs> How does this dog rank as far as dogs who can do things in the ring or are naturally inclined? We've seen Matilda, we've seen Arnold. I'm sure there are other ones I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. What are okay, your thoughts well, on uh, um, Lassie here? Yeah, and good good to bring that up because some people are going to, oh, well, Cornette liked it when the Steiners used their dog. This is a cute, fluffy dog. It looks like a smaller version of a collie. I don't know what the breed is. That's just jumping up and down with happiness and a wrestler uh, taking obviously fake bumps off of it and laying there so that the trainer can get the dog to stand on it and, and pin, uh, stand on him and pin him. And boy, I wish that we had released some of the video. I don't know. Did the, any of the video highlights of the Steiner Heavenly Bodies match in Smoky Mountain, did we put that on television? Maybe it's out there somewhere, but. Oh, I don't know if I've ever seen it, actually. I don't know. I don't, I've got, I've got tapes of at least a, a couple of the matches, but Arnold Steiner was a goddamn massive pit bull that weighed over 100 pounds with a head the size of a fucking toilet seat. And you could hear his bark throughout a fucking major arena. And he was fast. And you know those pit bulls, they're all muscle anyway, right? And when he would get fired up, Scott had this big leash that he, you know, had Arnold on. And he would be straining to hold Arnold back, Scotty Steiner. And Arnold was great. He he could work. He would chase the guys around the ring. And, you know, obviously, Scotty had the the fucking leash or he would tie the leash to the ring post in the Steiner's corner. And then they'd trip the heels and they would drag them over toward the corner of the ring. And Arnold was big enough. He could jump from the floor into the uh, up on the apron and underneath the bottom rope 
And he, as that leash was like six feet from the post, he would get either Tom or Jimmy Del Rey's uh, boot in his mouth and the whole fucking foot would disappear practically. And he wouldn't bite down hard enough to, you know, to goddamn do any damage, but he would, it was working and the guys are going, oh shit. And there are other guys holding on to the guy's arm where he's having a tug of war with the fucking dog. And here's a pit bull mauling somebody. And it he could work. And, and then you would run from him and or accidentally stagger that way and turn around and, all right, righty, oh my God. And we didn't have, you know, the guys taking goofy bumps for the dog, but the dog was menacing in a legitimate and believable way. And the people love to see that dog chase after our asses. So there's a difference there. It's like with everything in, in wrestling, there's context and there's a big difference between trying to make something that could be legitimate, legitimate, and just going in and assing off and being a jack off. But imagine if Arnold could do a drop kick and then be led by a woman to pin you after several attempts. <laughs> oh, God damn it. You could have used Sherry for that role. She was on those shows. Hey! I'm not saying that in a bad way. Sherry a dog? I'm saying she could have helped lead the dog onto you if you need a woman to lead the dog in the ring. You couldn't have the Steiner brothers do that. I, They'd be busy well, fighting the heavenly bodies on the floor. Well, no, the only problem was it, the Steiners were the only ones that Arnold would listen to. So... We left the Steiners to be in charge of Arnold to make sure there were no mishaps. All right. Well, Jim, while we were talking about all this, I was researching why you're trending. Apparently, it's several. What reasons. have I done? It's several things, apparently. Oh, I'm, I'm several things. Several of the uh, news sites or the clickbait sites, whatever you want to call them, have jumped on various comments you made on recent episodes. Jim Cornette urges AEW star to join WWE, quote, as quickly as possible. Wardlow. That's right, but it doesn't say that in the headlines. You have to click first to find it. Well, yeah, but <laughs> goddamn, how is that shocking? Anybody can see that he's tailor-made for the WWE. Anybody can see that the way they're using him in AEW has killed all of his forward momentum it's not his fault he needs to go somewhere where they have a plan in place well obviously every one of these quotes that's put out there there's a lot of people that agree with it and there's a lot of people that get really really upset by it here's another one dan lambert jim Cornette is the greatest manager of all time that was another article tweeted out so that got people talking thank you dan appreciate that i i still defer to bobby heenan but you know, Dan's a Southern boy, so he may not have got to see enough of Bobby. And then here is uh, also related to the Wardlow thing. I guess another site has tweeted out an image of Wardlow and Brian Cage with a giant Jim Cornette quote from the Jim Cornette experience. <laughs> Thank you, Sports Skeeta, for crediting the Jim Cornette experience. We'll give you credit now. Uh, and that got people going bananas. Here's another one. Jim Cornette speaks his mind about Bray Wyatt's return to WWE. That's got people going back. Oh, boy, a bunch of people are pissed off about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then this may be another reason right here. Approximately an hour ago, a tweet sent out by Soraya, dirt sheets, podcasters, and an old man that loves to have his voice heard, even if it's full of shit. And then in parentheses, it says, Cornette. Oh, I thought, why is she mad at Eric Bischoff? 
loves to talk about me. You're welcome for the clicks and views. Hey, listen, the last video didn't get that many clicks, so don't. I was about to say. Now's not the time. Now, last two weeks ago was the time. Now's not the time. Yeah, she's like all the other <laughs> AEW debuts. First night in, boom. After that, eh, law of diminishing returns. But thank you, sweetie, for yeah. your support. Yeah, this is our house. Sweetness. Get the fuck thank out you, of here. This is our yeah, house. It's our house. <laughs> <laughs> but those are some of the various reasons why apparently you're trending right now. Apparently, I've I've turned the page. Um, yeah, should we talk about the Bray Wyatt thing? For fuck's sake. And again, everybody's going, oh, Cornette liked all the supernatural stuff when Undertaker and Kane did it. That's the big complaint we both have gotten in the last few well, years. Well, and actually, no, I particularly didn't like it when when they actually called down legitimate lightning. I like the, the entrance effects and everything, but the legitimate lightning strikes I thought was a bit much. And I've mentioned that I cringed heavily and hid behind the ring post. Uh, at Survivor Series that year when Undertaker ascended into heaven on the big screen. But, again, much like with wrestling dogs, and no, I'm skipping, I'm talking about the story before you, Paige. Um, oh, much like with wrestling, well, no, I didn't want anybody to think because we just were referring to that. <clears throat> so I didn't want anybody to, to think that. But much like with wrestling dogs, it's context. The Undertaker, I don't recall having a children's puppet show with puppets of pigs and roosters and anteaters and whatever the fuck with children's voices that other wrestlers had to interact with as if they were real. Do you remember that one, Brian, from The Undertaker? What? I don't, I, it's, I don't understand why people cannot differentiate between silliness and preposterousness and the cool, spooky, supernatural vibe, even when he wasn't doing anything supernatural that The Undertaker had in that late 90s and 2000 aughts period. Except for the American badass, I wasn't a big fan of, but because the Undertaker was much cooler and better than a mere fucking biker, but at least he took it away from him. So when he gave it back to him, how can we miss you if you won't go away? The real Undertaker was stronger than ever after that. But I still don't remember any goddamn children's puppets or, you know, fucking just. The whole Firefly Fun House jaunty music, the vibe of the whole thing. It's like this is a goddamn clown show. And people were interacting with it like it could or would be legitimate. Much less when the puppets were, who was it they were attacking? Randy Orton? I think at one point they, they attacked him. They were just like mysteriously popping up and random. Yes, and he was running away like scared of a, 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 a fucking Miss Piggy puppet. And that's nothing like either The Undertaker or Kane's. So yes, I'll strike your ass with lightning. Maybe a little fucking preposterous, but at least somebody's ass got struck with lightning by a seven foot tall fucking weirdo with long goddamn hair and a gravelly voice. 
instead of fucking Jim Henson's rejects. You know, another argument you see people sometimes say is, oh, but how could you think these things if you grew up liking Memphis wrestling? Forgetting the idea that you had a commentator with credibility who could roll his eyes at the camera when he clearly wasn't talking to Frankenstein. Yes, and the fact that people were clearly assing off in that respect to fuck with their opponent legitimately the people believe oh, we want to embarrass jimmy hart or we want to embarrass jerry lawler or we want to fucking humiliate somebody blah 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 when there was questionable fucking shit going on it's context but people i think like you said people just now it's been so long that people think mistakenly but they truly believe that wrestling is just supposed to be a goddamn blatant show that nobody takes seriously and fuck you i don't give a flying fuck what happens how much money's involved or who wants me to think or say otherwise i'm not gonna do it because it's bullshit even if everybody know, if I know when I go to the fucking movies, I know that chances are that actor is not really that goddamn person. Yeah, movies, it's scripted, it's entertainment, but they don't goddamn just break down and show you in the middle of it. And if you, if you go to see a movie that makes no logical sense from one thing to the other and people would never interact like that or react like that you call it a bad movie so when we watch a wrestling match where the shit looks phony and it doesn't look like they're really fighting or they're saying shit and interacting in a way that nobody ever really would why don't we call it a bad fucking wrestling match fuck you now you got me pissed off are you happy yet well i didn't know it was gonna we were talking about bray wyatt and you just Went into a bigger thing. Well, about yes, wrestling. but that, that, that's it's the it's the same thing. You can you can have comedy and wrestling in context. You can have supernatural and wrestling in context. But the it, when you lampoon or parody your own business and the thing that you're doing at the time and wink at people like yeah, this is all bullshit, then you've shit the bed. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Even if you can't convince anybody that the whole business is fucking legitimate, it's within your power to convince those people that something about you is legitimate, even if you're in an illegitimate business. And if you don't try to do that, then that's your fucking fault. And to be quite honest, if it's not everybody's goal in the wrestling business, from the wrestlers, the referees, the managers, the announcers and commentators, promoters, matchmakers, whoever, if it is not their number one priority to make the shit as legitimate looking and believable as possible, then they're not doing their jobs right because they're putting out bad fucking movies. Well, perhaps they want to see those movies in a safe fashion without having it on their normal ISP. Perhaps they want to find a way to transition to something more pleasant and fun, like you butchering a spot for a wonderful advertiser. Oh, come on. Of course, I'm talking about our friends at ExpressVPN. 
I don't butcher anything, and I always do commercial spots with the utmost in taste and integrity in mind. But let me ask you a question, Brian. Do you ever take a shit with the bathroom door open? I don't typically talk about my shit making or taking, whatever you said there. Uh, I'm not talking about public you forums. talking about what kind of shit or the consistency of it or the fucking weight or the quantity or anything. I'm just asking I you think, it's a general rule positioning okay. geographically. I think as a general rule, it is the obligation of the shitter to close the door and also put the fan on. Well, yes, but you're, you're not comfortable if you're trying to take a shit and the bathroom door is open, right? Probably You can't not. mentally relax. Probably not, you're, no. You're exposed, all your little dangly bits, and, and you're in a... And your big bits. You're in a highly vulnerable position right. where your pants are around your ankles and your shirt's kind of tucked up in the back so it does the shirt tail doesn't droop down in, you know... I'm home. I'm it, taking off my shirt. Well, if you can take your shit, if you're one of the people who prefers to take your shirt off to take a shit, I can't believe you have at a home. shirt tail. At home. Well, and then there's the problem also when you're taking a visiting shit. Well, in somebody else's home, you can do the same thing. But in like a public bathroom or a truck stop or things like that, time is also a factor because especially if it's busy, the pressure gets on you when you see feet start standing around like they're in line. And now the pressure's on you. And it's hard to perform under pressure a lot of times. And then... Sometimes when you go into some of these places, they don't have a goddamn door on the stall. So you have to figure, well, should I just try to do this and quickly and get out of here, even though I am expired? And then when you got your pants around your ankles, you're trying to keep it, your pants off the floor because generally in a place like that, there's piss on the floor also. Hey, listen, while this is a scintillating conversation, I believe we were supposed to be talking about ExpressVPN. I don't know Well, I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. See? Because here's the thing. <laughs> you don't take a shit with the bathroom door open because all your private parts are exposed and your dangly bits and things that can be seen and potentially mocked or made fun of. And it's And especially when you're in a situation, you know, where you don't have a a stall door at all to close, well, then you have some decisions to make, and that's only acceptable in a few types of businesses, to have bathrooms without stall doors, and generally, you know, then everything's up for grabs. But it's the same thing, Brian, if you're exposing your privacy as well as your private parts. You don't want random people passing by, looking at you, taking notes, talking about the smell. Like Mama Cornette used to say, it smells like something crept in, crapped and crept out. You don't want people to do that, so why would you want them to do it online, Brian? Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing a door. People are just wandering by, looking at all your private parts and your dangly bits. Your internet service provider, that's what those ISPs are, they know every single website you visit. Maybe that's why you didn't want to Google is it legal to fuck sheep in Japan the other day. Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but that would certainly be one of them. I wouldn't want anyone to see that I was doing this, but I would never do it to begin with, so I don't have anything well, to worry about. Well, you can take one of those worries off your mind with ExpressVPN, because not only are they not going to be able to see it, but they also will not be able to sell that information to ad companies and tech giants and I know it, it's common knowledge, everybody that Googles the legality of sheep fucking 
gets all kinds of advertisements for wool sweaters in the fall and all kinds of advertisements for animal husbandry and things of that nature. And that's why, because they sell your information. But ExpressVPN puts a stop to it, creating that secure encrypted tunnel, even a funnel. It'll, it's going to funnel the information from one place to the other without the ISP or the state police, the KSP, Kentucky State Police, or any of the other police agencies able to know what you're doing. So, therefore, if your black market business has been down because you're getting stooged off, you, you know, and you're trying to sell illegal plutonium or, you know, other necessary ingredients in today's charged atmosphere on the internet, ExpressVPN can help you with the plutonium transfers, the black market... No. Uh, no. Well, no, the black market child labor is a no. Thing. No, no child labor, no plutonium. There won't be any plutonium involved in this, or any other ingredients, or chemicals, or biological products that could be considered hazardous or dangerous, or that any government in the world does not allow you to transfer back and forth. That's not okay. what we're talking about with Express. That's media. not what we're talking about no. here. And and also, if you're going to buy a person, they have to be over twenty-one. You can't say that. Well, if you're if you're in the market for Soylent Green, also, what you you, you Soylent Green, you've got to use Express VPN. But anyway, it works on everything: phones, laptops, even routers. So everybody that shares your Wi-Fi, all Router. your friends and neighbors, all the people that live behind you in the other side of the parking lot, no, next to the Target, you don't share your Wi-Fi with strangers, Jim. Well, you don't think you do, but that's why ExpressVPN is going to come in and clean this situation out, make sure everything's on the up and up, or the down low, or the kayfabe. And the best part is, using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing that bathroom door. Or if you're one of those locations that does not have a bathroom door, they'll put a piece of plywood up in front of you and the people who are going to stand around and watch you take a shit. You just fire up that app, click one button, pull your pants up and buckle your belt, and you're protected. And they are the world's number one rated VPN by Mashable and The Verge. So you've got a magazine about potatoes, and The, the Verge, didn't they have a hit with Bittersweet Symphony? The Verve. Yeah, The Verge. Yeah, they had The that. Verve, and then they found out who Alan Klein was, and he got all the rights to that song. They actually just got it back a couple years ago. Well, that's good for them. Did they went through ExpressVPN then? No, huh? Alan Klein died. That's what happened. And oh, eventually... well, did ExpressVPN <laughs> kill him? No, ExpressVPN. Our sponsors don't kill people. Let's be clear about that. What they do is help people, and they can help you, ExpressVPN. Well, they'll root those internet service providers out of the walls of your house, I'll tell you that. What they do with them once they take them off your property is none of your concern, and best not you ask any questions. Folks, if you're like me and believe that your online activity is your business or you don't like to take a shit in public, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash jce today. Use my exclusive link. That's what that slash is, expressvpn.com slash jce, and you'll get an extra three months protection free, free three months on top of all this other protection. You're going to be 
you're going to be invulnerable. You're going to be protected, and you'll just be able to, hell, you'll be able to drop trow and just take a big poop anywhere you want out in public from now on because you'll be protected. Nobody will be able to see you. Just go to the next Walmart parking lot closest to you, get in the middle of it, and just drop trow and fire off a chocolate rocket. Let the fudge monkey out of his cage. Drop the Browns off at the Super Bowl. Nobody will be able to see you because you will be protected and covered up by ExpressVPN. Well, Jim, of course, ExpressVPN can help out a lot of the listeners. And let's talk a little bit about something that has no transition that actually readily applies to ExpressVPN. So let's just talk (laughs) about some wrestling news. Jim, news broke this week before Raw that WWE was interested in bringing back the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows, and indeed they have returned, aligned themselves once again with AJ Styles. A lot of people agreed with me. Some people didn't when I said this was a sign of how desperate they are for main roster talent. What are your thoughts on the return of the Good Brothers, who we've seen in the last couple of years everywhere? I think both these things can be true. They've obviously... Maybe I don't know if desperate is the right word. They obviously know in the WWE they need main roster talent because, I mean, they have, as we have talked about in the past, between the trainees, the NXT talent, SmackDown Raw, they've got a hundred and something talents under contract and maybe even more that they've got in the pipeline that they've signed to do developmental deals or whatever we haven't even heard of. But... They're so short of legitimate main roster talent that's interesting, both because they're short of talent to begin with, and they have sabotaged uh, a lot of the talent they've got with rotten gimmicks. They're trying to do some backtracking and reversals on now, i.e. L.A. Knight, Eli Drake. At least he's not Max Dupree. But they need guys. And I got to be honest, you don't like them worse than I don't. Well, I I, I can't even say that because it's that not sentence? that I don't. Yeah, no, it wasn't. You so don't I'll like try them to do worse it in English this time. <laughs> I'll try to do it in English this time. I stopped myself in the middle because it's not fair to say you don't like them worse than I don't like them because it's not that I don't like Gallows and Anderson. I've liked them in the past. I I thought that they had something to them uh, that unfortunately it was not seen both in that brief period of time when they were part of Olivier and Don Fallis's group and or an impact. I mean, you know, nobody sees that anyway. I see something there. If they were used properly, you don't like them at all. But both these things can be true. They're as good or better as some of the other guys and girls on the WWE roster and yes the WWE if they're smart if not desperate is is at least highly in search of and wanting to get more main roster talent so you have both of those things I'm not as hard on them as you are though I think there were certain guys despite whatever they may have once been and I was never the biggest of their fans but I thought Carl Anderson for a time in New Japan years ago was pretty good. I mean, the Bullet Club and everything aligned with the Bullet Club is probably the lamest thing in wrestling. Yeah. Just because now it's been going on for like 10 years. And it just reeks of, it reeks of Anderson and Gallows. Just the idea of the two lazy guys 
throwing up someone else's hand signs and just <clears throat> prancing around in the background. Now they're going to be back on this show. The question is, do you think this is something... Is this just filling a roster? Because this is not a move that's done to get anyone interested, correct? Well, come on again. I mean, you'd be surprised who people are interested in. There's somebody interested in everybody. Um, But with Gallows and Anderson, no, it's not going to be a game changer. It's not going to, you know, ignite the houses or the ratings right off. But it's better than Gable and Otis. I mean, come on, seriously. You know, look at the look at the field now. Even when they Gallows and Anderson, they too many pronouns, pal, when they left what three years ago or almost, it was, you know, a little bit more of a crowded field. They had more talent that you could say, okay, that guy with proper use could be something or do something. And remember also, I think Triple H was probably wanting to rectify what they did under the previous administration because they were guys that they had a chance to go to AEW and sign with them. And instead, that's when, um, at that point in time, was when, you know, the the WWE hadn't seen what AEW was going to be and was hearing a billionaire is going to be on TBS and blah, blah, blah. And they were making big offers to keep people. And that's Gallows and Anderson signed for what was it, seven hundred and fifty grand a year for I don't know two or three years or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And then the pandemic comes around three months later and they fucking cut them. So I said at the time, if I was them for that much money and honor the contract for three months and we didn't go elsewhere where they would honor the contract, I would have taken at the very least explosive devices to Main Street and Stamford. So, well, let's talk about since that time, they get these major deals because WWE is afraid of guys like that going to AEW and AEW went after them. The Bucks admitted they tried to get them for the debut episode of Dynamite. So that puts that in the fall of 2019. Since that time, they get cut. They go to AEW. They don't impress anyone there. I mean, let's be very honest. Fans were not clamoring for more of them. It was the opposite. The AEW fans start saying we want to see less of these guys. They go to Impact which is wrestling purgatory. They do this stuff in New Japan again, which means less than ever before. And again, it's lame as fuck, the Bullet Club at this point in time. What do they mean going to well, WWE Well, now they're the, they're the original club because they don't have the trademark. No, what he's doing is he's... Uh, the, the amount of money that they pay two wrestlers from that company is minuscule and totally immaterial in the overall scheme of things. He's brought back some guys that were on the roster before that the people will recognize that have got enough size to do what they need him to do. And he's also made good on a bed shitting that the company did earlier because you know they talked to a bunch of guys and they say, yeah, they fucking jacked us around. They just didn't want us to leave, but once we didn't have the opportunity that we had before, then they fucking cut us. So for a non-material amount of money, they can sign these guys back, add two more guys to the roster. It's familiar talent to the fans, and now those guys will be going around saying, well, Triple H is handling things differently. He's trying to go around and clean up some of the things that Vince may have caused or whatever the case. and the good publicity with 
guys like that saying, well, you can, seems like you can trust them now, or it's a new day up here or whatever. That's more valuable than the money. If they give them a million dollars a year, where are they going to miss it? So you think the messaging is valuable to other wrestlers? The messaging is probably more valuable than what Gallows and Anderson will be on the roster, but at the same time, at least we don't have to see so much of goddamn Otis and Gable. Well, speaking of which, let's talk about Monday Night Raw. This week was uh, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, and it started off strong. Let's give it that. (laughs) Well, it was the season premiere, because now wrestling shows have seasons. Um... Do you think anybody watched just because it was the season premiere? If no. that was the only thing advertised? I don't think so, because if you're a wrestling fan for longer than a year, you realize it means nothing. Yeah. Um, DX did the cold open. It was the DX reunion, 25 years of uh, DX. And they uh, basically they painted the picture that Triple H was the business guy now, and he's trying to tell... His cohorts, uh, Sean Waltman and Road Dog and Sean Michaels, no cussing. Of course, Road Dog says penis, and Sean gets bleeped eighty-four times. And then they they have rubber chickens sitting there that they call cocks and get the opportunity to do choking the chicken joke. They're all in their fifties, and I and I'm not gonna be the one to say no. DX isn't over. They weren't popular. No, no, no. They were popular. They were over. The people wanted to see him in Brooklyn. But this is the problem. When you had a gimmick that was specifically tied to a certain time period that was perpetrated by guys that were a little bit on the upper edge of the age group for that at the time, and now it's 25 years later, this doesn't age as well for them to do their shit as it does for Austin to do his shit or The Rock to do his shit or undertaker to do his shit because their shit was juvenile 25 years ago and i'm not talking about their working ability or their ability as talents in the ring i'm talking about the whole goddamn dx rubber cocks you know crotch chop suck it that thing that was as as a lot of people are it's like ecw television it worked from 1994 to 1999 because everybody else was doing the same thing. We talked about that on the DX biography. I don't know. But anyway, that's the problem when you have a juvenile gimmick that gets over, and then you try to go back and do it 25 years later, and people are like, well, that's kind of what it was, right? They just said shit that now we hear on cable television, but they still can't say shit on USA. We found that out later on. But anyway, having said that, the show opened strong with the first live segment. As you mentioned, the new announcer, Kevin Patrick, he's been somewhere in that system. I've seen clips of him on Twitter, but has he come from another show in the the, uh, canon, or was he uh, just doing interviews or something? I think he was the soft-spoken interviewer backstage on Raw, but I thought his name was like Liam or Simon or something. I didn't know. What is well, is. Kevin Patrick's probably not his real name. And is he Irish or Scottish? 
He's soft-spoken. I don't know who he is or what he's he is. He's soft-spoken, but he's got an accent. He's not soft-spoken from Mississippi. Corey Graves is doing his Jesse Ventura where he's like screaming the whole night. And the other well, guy's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, look at what he's going through. <laughs> Kevin Patrick sounds more like Miss Linda, actually. But anyway, so the bloodline is out first. And they start their entrance about five minutes into the show after we've had the DX business and the, introduce the new, new announcer. And then Roman Reigns first speaks at nine minutes in. It takes him four minutes. I know they're big stars, and I know it's a big entrance, but it's they're not the only ones. I think that's why this show takes forever is because they they feel like instead of filling three hours with action, we will we'll make everything last longer. But however, this is the this is the top group in the business right now. This is the modern day four horsemen. Roman Reigns is great. Paul Heyman's great. Sami Zayn is incredible. He's he's getting these Sami chants every time he opens his mouth or even he'll hold his finger up like, may I speak? And people, oh! And he's become one of their biggest baby faces as a giant sycophantic suck-up. But at least he's on this show, he's fun to watch, and that's few and far between. He's fun to watch, and you enjoy the interaction between him and each member of the bloodline, because everyone yeah. has a different reaction to him. And and now this week, basically Roman Reigns has given Jey Uso to Sammy, because it's, it's your problem. And now Sammy and Jey hates him, and, and you know, and, and yeah, like you said, the the individual interaction between all, and every time that Sammy opens his mouth to interrupt Roman Reigns and Heyman goes ballistic. Like, are you out of your mind? And then Roman will say, let him talk. Oh, I'm sorry. But so Jay still doesn't buy Sammy or want Sammy or want to be around Sammy. But now Roman has dictated that Sammy needs to be able to handle Jay's anger issues and blah, blah, blah. But then here comes Riddle. And more bro. Maybe that's why I don't like him so much. Bro, I'm I'm shell-shocked by the bro thing. But he acts so goofy when he challenges Roman. And thank, I was afraid Roman was going to accept. Thankfully, he blew him off like a fucking goof and said, hey, nah. But then he asked, well, give me one of the bloodline, bro. And so Jay offers Sammy. And, of course, it does get bogged down a bit, but finally Jay goads Sami Zayn into accepting a match with Riddle for later on in the program. So, again, at least they're doing something that ties in later on with somebody that the people are halfway interested in. And I know people are interested in Riddle. I'm just not one of them. He just acts. It's so... It's not endearing, goofy, like Rick Steiner in Mid-South. It's just a person acting goofy for no apparent reason. You know what would help him, and I think it hurts him, and I understand why they have everyone in their wrestling outfits the entire show, just in case a brawl breaks out in the back or something. But I think if Riddle actually was out there in street clothes, talking and acting the way he does, it would make it more palatable. But he comes out there in his shiny, faux leather outfit. <laughs> I think that's the thing. If he talked the same way he did, but was wearing actual clothes that real people wear, it would make it seem more real. Instead, it just seems like, He's doing his little performance, and he's going to run in the back. I agree with you. I hate that whole thing about him. I like him in the ring when I've actually seen him 
have a good physical match, but it did work here, him playing off the bloodline. Yeah, just the scooter and the, yeah. Anyway, what do you think of the stuff again, with, I was going to say, what do you think of the stuff with Jey Uso? Oh, that's tremendous. Again, you know, everybody has a different way of processing Sami Zayn, which, and Sami is being brilliant at doing this, which is why that he's getting over like this in the, in the group. And the fact that Jimmy's just kind of, you know, laid back and, you know, whatever, but Jay is the one that's adamantly against Sammy, but he's doing it for legitimate reasons because he can see and he knows that Sammy is a suck up and Roman realizes that also, but he's going to use Sammy, but Jay just doesn't want to tolerate him. They put a lot of thought into this and the way everybody interacts. So again, strong point of the show, but by the time we got the first in-ring interview and the challenge for the main event out of the way, we're 20 minutes into the program. It's just a lot of this stuff is stuff that could move quicker to, but then the problem is, do they have enough talent? If they actually had, uh, you know, room for more matches and more guys to be exposed instead of people being out there for 30 minutes. Do they have enough talent to fill it up? It's a shame that the biggest promotion in the world might not. It's weird how much more live it feels on Raw with the Bloodline than it does on SmackDown. Even though it's supposed to be live, it feels taped every week. Am, am well, I the when it feels that? Like, it felt more lively on Raw. Well, they, they have more time. And here's the thing. They, if, if they're trying to do the same show on Friday on SmackDown in two hours as they do on Raw in three hours, SmackDown's going to have to move a little quicker. Whereas Raw, especially these guys are doing these live interviews and the people that can talk, they know that the pressure's not on them, especially the they're out first. So the bloodline goes over a little bit. They're probably not concerned about that on a three-hour program. But it just... Same format, and it takes a long time for anything on Raw to happen. And then the next match, it, it's it's almost now they're trolling us. But again, we, everybody has hope for Triple H's administration of this thing. But there's one person I don't know what his fascination or fixation is with this guy. I don't know why that he this guy gets so many chances and gets put it's like the he's the you know wwe equivalent of pockets the company mascot triple h must love him johnny same face the next match on raw is austin theory against gargano and the thing i'm i'm sitting here looking at austin theory who a guy that should and probably will be WWE champion in the next three to five years, who's got the size, got the physique, his work for this stage in his career and to be this young is nearly impeccable. Sped the little things. He's got personality. And he's being put in a position now to do a job to this diminutive, emotionless piece of human pablum, half his size. And I'm thinking, does does Gargano have pictures of Triple H with a paralegal or a goat? What is the... Why? 
And now his wife is back. What, what is it? Their theory is a foot taller. Obviously has more of everything that you would want in a wrestler. And it's a showcase for fucking Johnny same face to beat him. He went for a fucking, his rolling drop kick and same face super kicked him. Theory rolls out to the floor. Same face does a dive through the ropes and DDTs him on the floor and then rolls him in and hits another DDT. One, two, three. So that wasn't even just a win, but he beat him flat in the middle of the ring with no bitch, no gripe, no out. He should have pissed in his mouth while he was down there. Can you think of anybody on this roster that belongs more in AEW with the rest of the children than Johnny Gargano? You know, I was paying close attention to this because there are matches of his that I liked in the past, specifically tag team matches, but he does seem to be a guy that Triple H and the voices that Triple H listens to seem to really inside like. Inside his head? Well, I don't think they're inside his head. I think they're inside a performance center <laughs> down in Florida. They like him. And he likes them. <laughs> and I was watching to see how the fans reacted to him. And I'd like to talk to some people in the building because it sounded to me and it looked to me like there wasn't a big pop for him coming out and they were piping in audio. And I'd like to know because we said it last week, I think, Triple H is bringing up all of his last batch of NXT guys. And now all at once, it seems, they're all ending up on the main roster. I guess Indy Hartwell and Braun Breaker will probably be next. They're all ending up on the main roster. Gargano's been away. He's back. Even when he was being pushed in NXT, we always said, how's this guy going to work on the main roster? It wouldn't work with Vince, and it wouldn't. But now the question's going to be, will it work with the fans? And I think time will tell, but back to Austin Theory. If they're not punishing him or trying to humble him or trying to break him like a fucking dog, I don't know what they're doing. Because as soon as he comes out there, he looks like a star. Other than the fucking selfie thing, enough of that. That's yeah. Treat that with the Vince. That era. was prob that was probably Vince. Let that go. Other than that, let the guy fucking let him shine already. But he loses every match we see him in for months now, ever since he got that briefcase. <laughs> and I guarantee you they'll figure out some way to shove that thing up his ass too. All right, well, speaking of shoving things, they shoved Shoosh Gable down our throats against Rey Mysterio. And I mean, again, we liked Gable when he was a tag team with Jordan. They, they had a tremendous match or matches with FTR. He looked like a completely different person. Then they cut his hair off. They made him shorty. Now they've made him a comedy guy that goes shush all the time. He talks like a child, along with his dim-witted sidekick, Otis. They've both been presented like jokes, and now we are expected to watch him against Rey Mysterio, and I didn't. The finish was Rey Mysterio won. But then here's Dominic and Rhea Ripley, and they confront Rey Mysterio, and Dominic tries to make Rey fight him and slaps him, but Rey won't fight. And this went on for a long time. And finally, Ray ended up attacking physically Damian Priest and Finn Balor. Well, they jumped in and he fights them, but he still wouldn't fight Dominic even after Dominic flattened him and then said, more hit me, hit me. And 
I'll get to the to the end of this angle in a second, and then a reason why I'm like stressing. Again, Rey Mysterio turns away, and Dominic jumps jumps him from behind again, and gives him a six one nine. And it moved at a snail's pace because there was the over milking of hit me, hit me, and the the announcers lay out so we can hear the audio in the ring. That's fine, but. This is all okay. All of this interaction, the the son turning on the father, multiple heels jumping the single innocent baby face, it's all okay with the WWE because nobody is trying to stop it. No chaos, no urgency, no jeopardy. The heel in all these angles, I'm not just talking about this one, it's like a stage play is unfolding in front of you and there's there's no reason to believe it or invest in it it's just part of the program that is being presented to you but there's no sense that something's out of control there's no sense of the bad guys getting away with something there's no jeopardy and no sense of urgency to the baby face being saved or a crime is being committed and they have to do it quickly to get away with it because nobody's trying to help. There's no security. There's no referees. There's no friends of Rey Mysterio, no baby faces from the locker room. The announcers are just talking about, oh, what a horrible thing's going on here. Nobody's calling the police. Can I make this any more plain? In, in less you are attempting to make it look in your presentation like something heinous, illegal, immoral, against the the wishes of the promotion is happening at the behest or the, the responsibility of the heels and they're rushing trying to get away with something and somebody eventually is going to be just a day late and a dollar short, but they're trying to stop it then this is all just Gaga. And it's just South Park, isn't it? I mean, that's one of the big problems with wrestling. I was going to ask you, how much of that, the lack of people running into help, the lack of reasoning behind there being no one to run into help, how much of that is a symptom of bad booking, bad creative, and how much of that is we have three hours to fill, we have to draw this out as long as possible? Well, no, it's not a symptom of that because you don't need to... Vince liked everything to be over-milked. The way I learned in the business was that, yes, you want to portray things that people do. You want to portray it to the fans physically with your body language, etc. You want to make sure they get it and it doesn't go right past them that the thing registers, but also you're in the middle of something that is supposed to be unfolding naturally on the fly, not pre-planned as it happens. Either the heels are trying to cheat and win or cheat and get an advantage or attack someone. The, the person being attacked is trying to stop it or fight back. If something is unfair or illegal, there are people that are emissaries of the promotion in some respect that are trying to stop it. Here's the thing. If you're driving down the side of the road 
and you see a big building going up in flames. It's on fire. And there's tons of fire engines around, and there's firemen with hoses, and they're shooting it, and they're, there's activity, and there's some you know, chaos going on while this is trying to get under control. Wow, that's a scene of just mad panic. Holy shit. They're trying to stop that fire, that goddamn fire. It's going to destroy everything. But if you drive down the road and the same building is on fire and it's the same size fire, but all the fire trucks are parked neatly and the firemen are just standing around, then you think, well, this is supposed to happen. It's a controlled fire. It's one of those deals where they're burning the building down to clear the fucking lot. Nothing to see here. Everything's all right. There's going to be no more chaos. Nobody's going to be killed. Nobody's going to jump out of that the ninth floor window. Everything is as it's supposed to be because it's okay. The people in charge are not trying to do anything to stop this. Maybe it's just me. Beyond that, I'll just say it here. I'm getting a little sick of the judgment day. Well, <laughs> that's where I was going because after, after they did all this and beat Rey Mysterio up and, and he's laying there and they go to the break and nobody's trying to come help Ray or do anything. Then they come back from the break. There's the judgment day in the ring. The bank robbers are standing outside the bank with the money bags talking about what they've just done. Nobody's chasing them. Nobody's trying to get even. Nobody's trying to reprimand them. They're giving them more microphones. They're giving them more microphones and more time on national TV because it's okay. That's what they're telling us. And it's not... Yeah, and another question you asked a minute ago was, was it they're trying to draw it out or it's just the bad booking? It's not only bad booking, it's the habit. It's the, it's the manner in which over the past number of years they have started to present this stuff to the point now where probably a lot of people working there, some of the newer writers... They don't know that it's bullshit. They don't know that wrestling was any other different way because we know most of these writers, they wouldn't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch. They've never seen wrestling. They just want to pad their resume. So they don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's just the way they've seen them do it on TV in the WWF. So there's Judgment Day still in the ring. Now they're talking. And they're calm. And Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest sound great. Especially the Priest has a man's voice in this business these days is remarkable. Finn, again, wonderful technician in the ring. He's been beaten like a drum and made marginal for years now, but his part in this group could be played by Butch. He's the little loudmouth that... <laughs> that is, sounds kind of squeaky and is smaller than even Rhea, than everybody in the group, and should be the, the loud mouth stirring shit up that has to hide behind the, the bigger teammates, but he's the goddamn veteran. Even Dominic has size. He's the only one without yeah. size. It would look good if they were all big people. So, boy, Edge looked tremendous in it. But anyway, so they showed a VTR of the Balor and Edge I quit match. Rhea had the Beth armband on. And let's say, Rhea Ripley not only is a rock star and one of the better 
workers in the business now, but maybe one of the top two or three female promos. She's got so much the facials and the the inflection and just the the glee that she has with things. And people hate Dominic. They boo the shit out of Dominic. Imagine if if the angle was actually believable. They'd want to knife him. But Dominic is reciting the lines that they've given him, and he's young yet, but if he could say this stuff naturally and challenge up against his dad legitimate animosity and resentment instead of reciting the flowery verbiage, you know, there'd be something to this. But then they were on to AJ in the promo. And I'm saying, how fucking much longer is this going to go? And then as soon as they start talking about AJ, you can tell the people in the truck were thinking the same thing because they hit his music immediately. And he comes out, and remember, they've been making overtures to AJ to join the group. So he comes out. He says, hey, I didn't come to argue. I've been alone for too long. I need friends. I need family. And he bows to a knee before Finn Balor, like he Finn's the Queen of England. Well, no, then Finn would be dead, like he's the King of England. And he shakes Finn's hand, gives him a big hug. And then AJ says, I wasn't talking about you. And that's when here comes Gallows and Anderson. And the crowd starts chanting, holy shit. And did you hear the poor guy on a seven-second delay? I guess it's still seven seconds. It always used to be. On a live broadcast, he's trying to hit... <laughs> they're mostly bleeping shit, but every once in a while they'll bleep holy and you'll hear shit. And he's, he was trying. And they have a big six-way fight over the desk, out on the floor, and they chase the heels off. And that segment went, I believe, a little bit over 20 minutes. That whole business after the match. What'd you think? Well, you know, I'm not a fan of the Good Brothers or the OC returning. And AJ's been boring for a while. So I won't even deal with that. But I'm sick of the Judgment Day. They're making me sick of them. They were all over the show like Chris Jericho was in them. And... <laughs> You know, it's promos, it's matches, it's attacks, nothing. I mean, they, they destroyed Edge. But hold on. So they destroyed Edge, he's out. Now they got the thing going with Ray. Now they, they got a they feud just, with AJ. They, just, they, they, they caved Beth's head in, so yeah. she's got to be, you know, hooked up to a machine now. So they're feuding with three different sets of people. Ray Mysterio, Edge and his wife, and now AJ and his friends from Japan. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. I don't like this so much. I love Rhea and I, Priest. I think Rhea and Priest and Rhea's facial reactions in the background for every like Dominic scene have been amazing. Yeah. And I like Dominic as a heel. I have to say, I know he's not natural on the mic, but it works, especially because he's with Rhea and he's got Priest they there. They hate like, him. Yeah. And he's got Priest there. And Priest is kind of like, I mean, he should be the leader of Judgment Day if he's not officially. I agree with you on Balor, but Judgment Day are. How many segments were they in on this show? How many minutes of this show were Judgment Day? They should come up a, with a mixed tag team title and put it on Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley. Is that what would make you accept a mixed tag team division? 
If if all of the other mixed tag teams were merely fed to Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley to put them over, yes. Who do you think will win a match? Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley versus Johnny Gargano and wife. Oh, good God. Let's get to her since you brought that up. The next match, remember I just said, had extreme rules. And everybody missed a point on that one also. Let me just update everybody on Extreme Rules. I heard a lot of people say, oh, Cornette, if the name of the show was Extreme Rules. What'd you expect? I didn't expect women bashing each other with baseball bats as fucking transition spots. I didn't expect everything on the show to be so phony. I'm not talking about the fact that the rules were extreme. I'm talking about if they're going to say Extreme Rules, Number one, make the shit look good. And number two, leave something for your main event talent to do in the same show by the time 10 o'clock Eastern rolls around that hasn't been done in the previous two hours of fucking lunacy. Just because of Matt and... Just because they, I had people actually writing me, said, well, don't you understand? If it's a no DQ match, how can the referee do anything? Dumb shits. That's the problem. That's how far we fucking fell with wrestling psychology that you think that it's okay, even if it's a no disqualification match, for... 18 heels to just run in and beat the shit out of one baby face in front of the referee, and that doesn't put heat on the promotion, you think. In that case, if that's always been okay for no disqualification matches, then why doesn't every no disqualification match start with the heel bringing all of his fucking friends that he can find into the ring and just kick the shit out of the guy to begin with? So, I said at Extreme Rules, if Bailey had a match, a single wrestling match, not a ladder match, against a top girl, I would watch it because I like Bailey. So I see Bailey's going to have a match, and guess who it's against? <laughs> Candace Sameface. Oh, Candy LaRue. Said, I wrote, as soon as this got in the ring, Jesus Christ, now Bailey is going to do a job for Mrs. Same Face. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? Basically, Bailey just the she's just come back. She's the leader of a heel group. She's one of the best female promos in the business. And it looks like she enjoys being a heel. So they beat her flat in the middle of the ring with this indie girl with no physique, no size, no star power, no personality that does moves with a timid face, looks scared of her own shadow, as Adrian Street would say, wouldn't say boo to a goose. And Bailey goes for a finish that's beating everybody else, and old Candy LaRue just reverses it, rolls through one, two, three. But then... Bailey Stooges, Sky and Sky and Shy, what are their names? Sky and Kai and Sky. Kai and Sky. Kai and Ty. Just make them Kai and Ty. The Stooges attack Candy 
and get heat on her, and then Bianca comes out, but they get they beat her up too, and they leave the heels laying. So nothing was accomplished except that now we know that Bailey can't even beat a fucking indie-rific girl that's 20 pounds smaller than even she is. And but the the babyface wins the match and then gets the shit kicked out of him and left laying. So we're even. Did you ever see Boogie Nights? A long time ago. And do you remember it well? Not really. You know, it was about the porno industry. And well, the... yes, I remember. One of, one of the funky bunch there. One of the Wahlbergs. Well, Marky uh, Mark a, was the a... leader of the funky bunch. I wouldn't say yeah. he was one of the funky bunch. He had a giant cock. In the movie, apparently, he had a giant... I don't know what your personal experiences are with Marky Mark, but... No, personally, I found it was just average. What... <laughs> Boy, you took me completely off the rails. <laughs> in the movie, though, it's about all these porn stars, right? Dirk Diggler, he gets hired because he has a big cock. And then, of course, there's all these other porn stars, relatively good-looking people for late 70s porn. And they're all just sleeping with each other and having sex. Yes, yes. Remember in the middle of the movie, I think it was the New Year's party, another producer shows up with a couple, just two couples, I believe, of ordinary-looking people. He's like, these are the next stars of porn. Meet boys, meet girls. And they just look like not sexy in any way. Yes. I feel like Triple H has a weird love for the Gargano family that the general public may not have. <laughs> people still want stars who are stars, not really nice people that you like and you're going to push nonstop. So you're saying that if, if Johnny and his wife were in a porn movie, you wouldn't watch it? Certainly not. Certainly not. Well, I feel a certain way about him on a wrestling show. My point is, nobody would watch it. It's not about me. It's about the general public. Now, we'll see. She's not as egregiously no-faced as her husband. But again, everyone from that last batch of NXT, Adam Cole, if he had stayed, he would have been brought up. Keith Lee, he would be in the mix right here. It's that entire last batch of NXT, whether... They should be on the main roster or not. So we'll see what happens. But Boy, I'm... you think poor Adam Cole also, especially depending on who hurt him and where he got hurt and how he got hurt, but it had to be an AEW. So he's over there with all those reckless, drop-you-on-your-head motherfuckers and hasn't wrestled in months because of a concussion, uh, apparently on top of whatever injury he had before that he was dealing with. His shoulder, I believe. Or, shoulder, or he could be back on Raw under the guy that pushed him to the best spot in his entire career. Oh, listen to you. You sound like a regular Bobby Fish over here. Well, I'm just saying, it. It. hey, it don't take a big mouth bass to swallow that fucking hook. You know, if if, if Triple H has brought same face back, if Adam Cole might be the WWE champion by now. And speaking of a former WWE champion that ought to go away, so they had a birthday party for The Miz. And his wife, Maurice, not to be confused with one of the brothers, Gib, Maurice, introduced him, and they had, it was a WWE Monday Night Raw segment. It was like Vince had never left. He comes out, the ring is decorated with balloons and tables and gifts and an ice sculpture. And as usual for the WWE, way overdone and clownish looking. And uh, I'm not going to spend time on this because it didn't deserve it. 
But Maurice gave Miz two big red balls with his picture on them, two massive balls to fit his big giant bat because he had carried a baseball bat to the ring with him. Everybody now in, in uh, wrestling wants to play baseball. Taking my gimmick, the Louisville Slugger. How many people now carry a baseball bat in wrestling? Uh, Jericho has a bat. Yeah. The bats occasionally. Uh, who else uses a bat? Sting has Sting. a bat. That's right. Right. And then there was the whole Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan thing. They've been using the bat. Now Miz has a bat. Remember when it was just Bill Watts walking tall? Anyway, Miz goes to look at the rest of his gifts. He picks up a box off of the table that is set up in the ring by Miz's wife for his birthday. And wouldn't you know, Dexter Loomis's head is in the box. It's like the old dick in the box spot. He picks the empty box with no bottom up, and there's Dexter Loomis's head sticking out from under the table. So he puts the box back on the head, takes the bat, and starts bashing the box in. But of course, Dexter has disappeared because he's gone underneath the trap door. I mean, this is Magic Elementary 101. And his old Miz is standing there. Loomis comes up from under the ring back behind him and grabs a hold of him, and he's going to choke him out or put a sleeper on him or whatever. Miz is flailing his feet and kicks Maurice, but she stops short of the table with the cake on it in a phony and overly dramatized way to indicate that she didn't go in the cake. And then apparently the spot was supposed to be that he was still kicking and would kick his feet up and shove her into the cake the second time. But she was, I don't know if she's too far away from him. He didn't get his foot up far enough. He put his foot in her ass and kind of shoved, and she stumbled forward and tripped and missed the cake. Missed the cake. Her face went to the side of the cake, and then she fell behind the table and on the way down had to grab some of the icing on the way by with her left hand and smear it a little bit on her face. Because Is that the first time, Brian, in the history of wrestling, the heel has missed the cake? You would be an expert. You never missed the cake. You broke your nose or you got a bloody nose in the cake. I didn't break it, but I got a bloody one one time. I've never seen anybody miss the cake. Actually, let me stop you. Didn't it happen in AEW? Am I wrong to think they did a cake angle there with Mark Sterling or something and he missed the cake? Well, you know, no, he still got some on him. Okay. I mean, she completely missed it. I think he got some on him, but did that? No, they tried. There was a... It was like a pie in the face where they were throwing it, and the the thrower missed mostly, or something like that. But this was a this was a complete whiff. Missed the cake. So then, explain this out to me. Miz then ran off from got loose from Loomis and ran off. Maurice looks at Loomis, and they stare at each other. Maurice rolls out and storms off down the aisle. The crowd is silent. Loomis goes over and picks up the cake knife, and then he stabs the air out of the balls, and the crowd is silent, and then he looks at the cake. 
And then to entertain themselves, the crowd starts chanting, eat the cake, eat the cake. And he takes a bite, and that's the only pop of the segment. What happened here? This Loomis Miz stuff isn't going away either, is it? Not a bit. Who <laughs> gets a kick out of this? You know, we used to say he's like a serial killer. It's not even that. He's like a weird stalker who's never... It's not that people don't stop him. No one does anything. They just let him do whatever he wants. He pops up every week, kills the Miz, and it pops up again. But he's not dangerous because he never does anything that leaves a lasting mark on anybody. Is he still married to Indy Hartwell? I don't think so because she's not on the program anymore. She's on NXT. Is she? She is. When she you're, I saw the videos going around because it's such a unique thing. Last night on NXT as we were recording, she won a match with a superplex. Well, bless her heart. Well, anyway, moving on, uh, DX was in the back of the arena talking to the two job guys that are about to face almost. And then Miz and his cake lady came in upset with his deflated balls. And Road Dog apparently can make matches now on television. And I mean, I know he's back working in the office, but I don't think they've said that on TV. The announcers joked about it a time or two. But Road Dog made a match for next week where it'll be Miz versus Dexter Loomis, Balls versus Leave Town. Is that the way I understood it? I don't know. If Loomis loses, he's got to leave town. But if Loomis wins, then he gets Miz's balls or something. I don't know. And then almost beat the two job guys. This is actually the best he's ever looked. Almost. This is, this is all he ever needs to do on television. And we would have a better opinion of him if this is all he ever had done on television. We saw him have a match with Bobby Lat two matches, I think, with Bobby Lashley. We saw him have competitive matches with, or try to have them, with a, a couple of other recognized names. All you need to do with this guy, give him a couple of job guys and let him beat him in two minutes. That's the only way he's ever going to look good. And this was the Andre formula. How many competitive matches did Andre the Giant ever have on free television ever? Not too many, and that includes... Only in Mid-South. Yeah. Only in Mid-South Rev. Watts could talk him into it. And Watts' way of presenting him made, it, made him look even better. But, all right. So, and then they VTR'd the Bray Wyatt return, and we've already spoken about that and what my issue is between that Supernatural and Undertaker Supernatural. Here comes the Bobby Lashley in-ring promo about Seth Rollins. He's calling him out. He wants a match. He wants it right now. And music plays, and it's Brock Lesnar. And again, the people were, thank goodness, we got another star back at least. People were not expecting that. It had been broken, I believe, earlier in the day on PWInsider.com, but the folks in the building, they were happy to see him. And Brock said, "Holy!" of course, they're chanting holy shit, and they're getting bleeped or trying to bleep, and then Brock says holy shit and gets bleeped. And Brock left as a babyface, I know, because he was fighting Roman Reigns, right? And Bobby Lashley's a babyface. 
so you you naturally want to see the the Brock and Lashley Haas fight, two shooters, two MMA guys, two similar sized genetic freaks. I got that. But is it an indictment again of the modern wrestling fan and or the way the business has been presented that when a guy switches heel, they love him. (laughs) Brock says good evening to everybody and says good evening to Bobby Lashley and picks him up for an F5 out of nowhere and fucking drops him and the fans love it. Brock Lesnar turns heel attacks another baby face for no reason out of nowhere. And the fans chant one more time for the baby face to be assaulted again. And then Brock gives him a German and then one more time and another F five and gets the Kimura on Bobby and cranks it up and then lets him go and stands over him laughing while the people cheer this dirty, no good son of a bitch for fucking not back jumping, but inevitably sucker, sucker F5ing the baby face and another situation where, okay, now that he's done that, he took his time, gave him the other moves, then put the fucking Kimura lock on the double wrist lock and cranked it. No, no urgency. Nobody tried to help. Fans were cheering the heel. The announcers were saying, oh, that's terrible. How dare he do that? While nobody else tried to do anything about it. So our psychology is all is lost. And maybe that's why people say, oh, wrestling is past Cornette by. Because I refuse to do shit that doesn't make any fucking sense. Your thoughts, Brian? Well, we'll see how it plays out, what sense it makes, maybe... Someone will clearly and overtly be a babyface or a heel. It's it's not it's not even having to now to have a clearly delineated babyface and heel going into a match. But when when a guy, what would have happened in any territory, in any territory in wrestling over a fifty year period, if the former top babyface. And one of the current top baby faces walked into the ring with each other and one of them kicked the other one in the nuts just right off the bat for no reason. That guy would have been the one to get booed, right? Because <laughs> what a fucking dick thing to do. But now that guy would be the guy to be cheered because it's all bullshit. It's all a show. And we just want to see bleh. Crazy, whatever. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's nice to see that Brock returned as Cowboy Brock again. And we'll see where they go. I mean, the booking of Lashley's been shit since they broke him up from MVP. I want to see, I've wanted to see him and Brock have a match, but they really made him look like shit here. Well, they ain't, they ain't finished. He's going to look shittier. So, yes, he was surprised by Brock Lesnar. And that attack, he didn't know it was coming. And besides the fact that we found out Bobby has no friends, nobody gives a shit about him, he didn't come to help him. But then they go to break and they come back from the break. And now the referees are checking on him. About five or six of them. Where were you motherfuckers a minute ago when I needed you, right? 
But then here comes Seth freaking Rollins or Seth Franklin Rollins with his ribs taped up from the pay-per-view and he wants the match now. Because even though Seth is hurt, Lashley's even hurter. And he goads Lashley on the microphone. You know, what kind of soldier are you? You're a disgrace to your country. Bobby did serve in the military. He's very proud of that. So now, of course, Lashley is goaded into, after he's been taken apart by Brock Lesnar, he's going to get in the ring. And again, there's the doctor and the referees. <laughs> Where were they when this fucking act was being perpetrated that they're so worried now? And now the doctor is going to let him, obviously, get in there. And Lashley goes for the spear, and Seth catches him in a flying pedigree. And if that had been it, I think that may have been acceptable. But it was a two-count, because they still wanted Bobby to show a little more life. Here's the thing. Unless you're in a situation like that where the guy's been hurt, if you're, unless you're going to go all the way and still have a competitive match, beat the guy as quick as possible. The old deal, you know, Dusty used to love that finish where the way he switched the world tag team title with Rock and Roll and Tully and Arn. Tully and Arn are in the ring, Rock and Roll are on the way to the ring to defend the belts. Midnight Express mad that they don't get the title match. Instead of Tully and Arn, jump the Rock and Roll in the aisle way and hurt Ricky Morton. Robert Gibson has to go it alone because if he can't, if they can't defend, they will have to forfeit. That's why the babyface doesn't want to forfeit the match. He doesn't want to forfeit the title. Which I don't know that that was ever even brought up here with Lashley and, and Rollins. It was just always goading him personally. Not that Lashley stood to lose a tremendous prize. And then what would happen? Robert Gibson would get, or whatever babyface was doing this angle, would get the early advantage, but then he would be shut down and he'd be being waltzed across Texas and his partner would come back and make the tag and come in and throw three or four punches and then the injury would be capitalized on and down he'd go. I think if that spear into the pedigree looked so good, if that had been the one, two, three, I think it would have not only got a pop, but maybe got some fucking heat. But instead, two count. And then Rollins goes to the top and does a splash off the top rope on the guy with his ribs, own ribs taped up. Sold him, yes. But why would you do that? Two count. Then Rollins missed a curb stomp and Lashley hit a spear. Now both of them are selling, but now you've showed to people that Lashley was able to do a spear. Not completely defenseless. Lashley goes for the hurt lock, but he can't get it with the bad arm, so Rollins stops that super kick, elbow, curb stomp, leads the fans in, oh, -e oh, 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 -e he's leading the fans, and then instead of capitalizing on the advantage he got over this dangerous opponent, then he hits another curb stomp, one, two, three, new United States champion. Lashley wasn't fucked by an opportunist who capitalized on he just got the shit kicked out of him by Lesnar. He was beaten flat in the middle with a fucking finish at that point by another fucking guy. And then after the break, he's in the back. 
basically said, I'll get a, I'll get Rollins later on, but I want to see Brock next week here on television. And he wasn't even sweating. If it wasn't a pre-tape, either they dried him off or just his incredible cardio. But he he was wincing to sell. He was not visibly marked in any way and wasn't even sweating after getting a shit kicked out of him by Brock and being beaten by Seth Rollins. So Bobby Lashley needed MVP and the Hurt Business to be the star of the show, and that was a perfect showcase. As a soft-spoken, mealy-mouthed babyface by himself, he's twisting in a fucking wind. Your thoughts? They're booking him like he's Austin Theory. I can't really explain what's going on here. And again, you would think if he's the babyface, Lesnar's the heel and Rollins is the heel. And they were both treated like babyfaces, so I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> Jim, do you think Lashley started that day, which ended so wrong, with a good breakfast? No, I do not. I do not think that he started with a good breakfast because I think that honestly... Poor Bobby Lashley, even though he tries to take care of his body, he's got to be in a a horrible depression over the way that they're treating him. And he probably got up and ate a bunch of carb and sugar-filled processed food. And that's why that he was able to be taken advantage of that quickly by Brock Lesnar. But if he'd gotten up and had a quality breakfast filled with nutrients that wasn't bad for his body, he would have gone through all of those different opponents like X-Lax through a widow woman. That's what he would have done. Well, it's a riddle whether they did or not. See what I did there? Um, Matt Riddle versus Sami Zayn. I'm not going to go into all the details. I'm enjoying the shit out of Sami, and he's a great worker, and I don't get Riddle. So here we go to the finish. They built this thing to where Jay had helped Sami Zayn once, and he didn't want it. And then he stopped him from doing it the second time. He, Sammy stopped Jay from helping him. But then as they're going into the finish, he dumps Riddle to the floor and he draws the referee, but the Usos are sitting there waving, going, well, he ain't going to do anything. So at that point, uh, Jay is holding Jimmy back from stopping Riddle from beating up Sammy Zayn, and Riddle hits the RKO uh, as a tribute to Orton 1-2-3. And, and and Sammy, that was the right result. It, the way that everybody's being presented, even if Sammy is more fun to watch than Riddle, uh, Riddle should have won the match, and they're still playing into the, you know, the whole controversy between Sammy and, and Jay and et cetera. So that was fine. That was the main event wrestling match, right? And did you have any comments on that particular match? No, like I told you, I think Riddle in the ring, once you get past the stupidity and the childishness and the bro stuff, he's pretty good. In there with someone really good, he could be really good. I don't know what the hell I'm saying at this point anymore, but Sami Zayn has been more enjoyable to me in the last couple of months than he has ever. And I used to like his stuff, you know, I liked him a lot more than you did after he was El Generico even. Um, I wasn't an El Generico fan in any way. But this is really good stuff, and he fits in with these guys, and it's working, and I don't know what else you want me to say. It was all right. Well, that's the thing, is that was the main event. That was a member of the Bloodline, the top heel group, going against one of the top babyfaces, Matt Riddle. They had uh, 
established this match as the main event in the opening interview with Roman Reigns, biggest, you know, their universal champion, biggest heel. But it wasn't the, it was the main event wrestling match, but it wasn't the main event segment. The main event segment, which started eight minutes before 11 Eastern time, so eight minutes left on the air, was the DX 25th anniversary reunion. And again, I'm not saying that DX wasn't over, is not popular, that people didn't want to see him. But is this, is this an indictment of the current roster or what's been done with them that the reunion of a group from 25 years ago, that this segment didn't contain any action, nobody, no new stars came out to beat them up, as usually happens with the legends, but I wonder why it didn't happen here, wink, wink. But no other new stars came out to get beat up. Nobody came out to interact with them to tie this into a current storyline and move that ahead or just get a rub with verbally interacting with, you know, some of the big stars of the Attitude Era. It was just like, here, we know that you stayed to the end to see this because these guys after 25 years are still bigger stars and are more attractive to viewers to get ratings than anybody we got on the show today. Because that's what this segment was. It was great. It was what the people wanted to see. They all come out and do their various catchphrases. Uh, Road Dog did the introduction, uh, Degeriatric X. He slipped that in. And he let the crowd say, Badass Billy Gunn. And then Triple H thanked him for 25 years and got him ready to suck it. And then Michaels goes last and they play the music. And they leave. And I'm not saying they should have done anymore, but should that have been the last segment of the show? Should it not have been something earlier in the program that they milked and that they announced and they waited for? But is that the, the fact that that is, in their minds, the audience grabber, does that do any good for the modern talent? And and I'll say one more thing. Do you know what it is like to, to compare this? They have the 25th anniversary reunion of Degeneration X, and they bring out the former tag team champions from, and 25 years ago was 1997, and Road, well, they brought out one of them. Road Dog and Billy were the champions. Sean was the, uh, world champion the year before that. It's the same thing as if on at the height of the Attitude Era in 1999, if they would have brought out and had the Valiant Brothers, Handsome Jimmy and Luscious Johnny reunion and put that in the main event spot over Steve Austin or The Rock or The Undertaker or Foley or etc. It's the same amount of time. Well, it says a lot about what they think their star power is. It also says a lot about how they look at themselves. I mean, name one other legend or legendary faction or whatever it may be that has ever had that, where they could just have an announced appearance and they appear 
and they smile and they tell jokes and they wave and they leave and no one hurts them. No one attacks them. <laughs> they don't have to deal with some underling baby face that's just there to get his ass kicked. DX is the only one for some reason. For some reason. But even again, I'm not saying that the people didn't want to just see that because I've, I've said in the past, why beat up your legends for no reason? Unless it's to get heat on a really fast rising up and coming heel. But did you think, and, but, but for instance, Riddle versus Zayn, you think that would have fit after this? Well, <laughs> either that or something else that they should have come up with. That's what I'm saying. It's an indictment on not necessarily the roster, but the way they've been used that maybe that wasn't something that should have followed this, but something should have. Cause again, it's, it, would you have saved I'm Brock? Saying, would you have saved Brock and the whole Lashley Rollins thing for after the? You know, well, no, because then you you're you've saved an an angle that got people's attention, but then the finish of the match was flattered in four o'clock because it was a foregone conclusion that Rollins was going to win at that point. But it's all about Brock. You're ending the show with Brock, bigger star than DX. Well, but you couldn't end the show with Brock and do the same thing because then Seth had to come out afterwards and beat. You know, but if you were if you were going to do something differently, Brock's surprise return would have been a good way to make an impact at the end of the show and reward the people for staying, but you couldn't advertise a surprise return. See, that's what I'm saying. They've got themselves in a position where the only thing on the show that might have been more enticing to the viewers than the DX reunion was something they couldn't advertise. Because their regular normal roster and the matches that they present are not as attractive as the reunion of a top group from 25 years ago. And I say again, would that have been the same case in 1999 when they had all that talent and things were hot and main events on Raw did the biggest number of the program, even if it was late at night? Would they have needed to bring the Valiant Brothers out from 1974, even though Handsome Jimmy and Luscious Johnny sold out Madison Square Garden that year more times than anybody on the current roster ever has? If you did that, so, if you did that same thing in like 1987 at the height of Hogan versus Andre, what would the main event on TV have been? So what is it, 25 years before that? 25 years before 1987, we'd be getting the we'd be getting the rematch of Rogers and O'Connor. Isn't that crazy? That's what I've said. The last 25 years have been practically mildewed for making big stars. Yeah, 25 years in 1987, Hogan and Andre, 25 years earlier, would have been legitimately O'Connor and Rogers would have been fresh in their mind. If they would have just have drawn almost 40,000 people to Chicago the year before. In 1999, it would have been the reunion of the Valiant Brothers, the hottest tag team in New York in 1974. But now, nobody thinks anything about, oh, well, here's DX out. Back then, it was the difference between black and white and color. But again, it goes to the idea that don't have main eventers right now. I mean, there are some guys there, and I don't even know if we've talked about it, the idea that Randy Orton's back injury is a lot worse than people thought is the word. Uh, apparently he wants to keep going from what, from what I understand, Randy Orton wants to keep wrestling and 
there's a chance maybe he shouldn't. His back is really messed up. What do you think about Randy Orton's been gone now for almost a year, I think. Yeah, well, and they snuck this one in on us because at first, we, well, he was just going away, but then he, we kind of heard he was hurt. Now it's been lingering, and as you said, it's it seems like it's worse than what we were either led to believe or just first thought. And that's a big blow because that's another name, and he's Randy's always stayed in good shape. I mean, obviously, you can't train against injuries, but he's always stayed in great shape, and he looks physically as good as he ever did, but especially now with a bad back, if he has, you know, time left on his career to come back, depending on what this is, it's still not 10 years he's not going to want to be doing this, or certainly not on a regular basis. So who's going to replace him? Whether anybody likes Randy Orton or not, people have different opinions. He's a major star that people know and has been used in a prominent position for 20 years. And times like right now, you realize how valuable he is when they don't have top guys. You realize yes. right now how valuable he is. Yeah, when you see 30 minutes of Otis on Monday Night Raw, you realize how valuable anybody is at this point. Let's get to some questions here. These, of course, were sent via email, thecornydrivethrough at gmail.com. We'll check out to see if there's anything good on Twitter, too. But this first one is a popular topic. Sent in from Brian in Long Island. Brian with a Y, a different Brian than me. Hi, Brian and Jim. I've been a longtime listener of the podcast. I listen to it whenever I'm doing deliveries, and it helps make the night fly by with enjoyment. My question is, what are your thoughts about Tony Khan mentioning CM Punk had an office job in AEW? Is that what Punk meant when he said he was running a business? Was this why the cosplay executives were so bent out of shape about him? What are your thoughts on the situation? And I don't know if you saw this, but Tony Khan did an interview. Yes, I did. I, I saw it, and I was I took it the same way a lot of other people did. Hmm. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but to this point, we have not been told that CM Punk was either an executive vice president or a chief cook and bottle washer or anything other than a wrestler in AEW that he didn't have any other position or responsibilities officially although obviously you know we've heard from some wrestlers saying that you know he was giving them advice and they were you know always uh welcome to ask questions or whatever but um you know that what? does make that comment a little more yeah i'm trying yeah. to run a business here is what he said and that does make that comment a little a little more because I, I assumed that he was saying Something to the effect of, I'm trying to be a businessman, right? I'm This is business. And he just, you know, it's late. It's the scrum. He's bleeding. He's got muffins. But that would change the complexion a little bit. And if that's the case, then that may be why this investigation is taking longer. Some people have said, well, there's some legal action being threatened. But now it is it a duel of executive vice presidents, or maybe maybe Punk just got to be a regular vice president. Who knows? I don't know what the job titles are. Here's the other thing: Are they all employees? Because wrestlers are obviously independent contractors, but weren't we led to believe that the original elite group, including Cody, were actually employees? Forget about the titles or whatever. But they were employees. They had health insurance. 
Yes, that's what we were led to understand, that they were actually company employees. If CM Punk was an employee, then you have an interesting situation with the suspensions and the investigation and all this bullshit. They're all employees. They're not just wrestlers fighting. They're employees of this company. <laughs> well, here's something Legally, else. that opens you up for a whole nother batch of shit. Well, and also legally. I've told this story before, but... There was a an uproar amongst Ed Kaufman, who was one of the, I guess at the time he was the senior legal beagle of the in-house Titan Sports legal staff. When they when I transitioned from managing in early 1997 to just working in the office on the creative team as a producer, et cetera, et cetera, the human relations department was human. Human resources. Human resources. Well, I've, I've seen some of the people in that department. I didn't want to have human relations with them. But uh, the, the <laughs> one that was, you remember at Lisa Wolf that was just head over heels in love with J.J. Dillon? He tried to avoid her at all costs. Holy mackerel. She looked like goddamn Ruth Buzzy if she'd been floating in the river for three days. <laughs> but anyway. Ruth um, Buzzy, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, ooh. Um, they made me an employee. And then uh, I've mentioned this. I went out to kill some time at a TV taping. They said, Cornette, go out and cut a promo, kill some time. We got a tape change or technical, whatever. And then they sent a baby face out to bump me around. And Ed Kaufman found me in the hallway the next week at the office and said, oh, we can't do that. You're an employee now. So what do you mean? Well, if you're an employee, you can't take any bumps. I said, well, then unmake me. Nobody told me that. Unmake me an employee because, I mean, honestly, I was looking at it at the time like, you know, yes, I work in the office on the creative team, but nobody has said I'm retiring as a manager or a performer for the rest of my fucking life, and I didn't want to. So they unmade me an employee, and I went back to being an independent contractor. So when called on, I could manage or take bumps or whatever. Uh, but why was that a huge deal to a company like that, that pretty much has, as we've known for the last 25 or 30 years, the best legal staff, the best legal advice <laughs> with Vince running a company, you needed that kind of thing. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's okay for these independent contractors that are wrestlers that are taking bumps, cutting their heads in some cases doing a variety of things with furniture, they could also be employees of the company. And if one of them does get hurt, come to think of it, one of them already has gotten hurt, hadn't they? Maybe that's the legal situation that we were talking about or we've been hearing about. Who's in charge of legal over there in AEW? Somebody smarter than Jerry McDivitt? It's Megan. Oh, it's Megan. It's Megan, right? Mega. Mega. She's a mega lawyer. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but she's uh her name is Mega. Well, how much experience has she had with injured professional athletes being viewed as independent contractors and uh then being made employees of the company while still being able to take bumps and hit each other over the head with furniture? Well, have you know that she's worked for the Khan family for a long time. So the Khan family hits each other over the head with furniture a lot at like Christmas get-togethers and seasonal family outing that's not what i'm saying but she's 
been around the football team. She also, I believe, is an executive with the football team. And from what I understand, she's very close to a number of wrestlers. So football sure. teams. Well, hold on a second. Football teams, football players on a football team in the NFL are not considered independent contractors, are they? No, they or have are. a union. They have a fantastic union. So and and but she's close to some of the wrestlers. But is that on a? That's I assume on a personal basis. She's not known professional wrestlers or been involved with pro wrestlers before this company started, right? No, but when you go out and drink with the wrestlers, you get to know them. You get to know the business. You feel like you're a part of it. Well, yeah, she knows what what they're telling her when they're getting her drunk. Well, well, I so would... or when they're buying her drinks or whatever the case. So the point I'm making is she has a charge card. Don't think she's not buying the drinks. Well, and and probably got a company expense account too. So actually, Tony's buying them so that it can lubricate everybody's situation up. But nevertheless. Point I'm making through all of that, she's done football. That's professional athletics, but that isn't independent contractors, and it's not a situation where they take bumps and are told what kind of bumps to take. When they get tackled, it's against their will, from what I understand. Most people I've talked to that played football, so they didn't really call those spots ahead of time. So no experience in a legal capacity dealing with pro athletes who are considered independent contractors. And no experience at all with knowing professional wrestlers before the 2019 inauguration of AEW, as opposed to in-house legal counsel for the WWF at the time that had been doing that job for nigh on to 15 years and under the supervision and or watchful eye of Jerry McDivitt, one of the great trial lawyers in the country who got Vince McMahon off from being fucked with by the federal government and who has been the chief legal advisor to that company since the 1980s. But Megan might know more than they do about all these things. Mega. And I'm sure she's a very She capable, might too. Well, she, I'm sure she's a very, very capable contract lawyer who knows her stuff and, uh, We'll see how things play out in AEW. Let's get another question or two, Jim, or three or four. Several questions. Don't don't start now. Remaining Just go crazy now. Just upping things willy-nilly. Well, several questions have come in about a very popular topic, and that is Bray Wyatt. So let me ask you a couple of these. This was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Joe in Poland. <laughs> I was about to say Poland, but it's not Poland. It's Portland. Joe in Portland. Joe in in po Portland, Polish Joe from Portland. No, Polish Joe's from Minnesota. Don't do that. Oh, that's right. Wrestling okay. has one Polish Joe, Joe Chupik. But here's the question from Joe in Portland. Just a quick question for the show. With Bray Wyatt coming back, as Jim is a big proponent of the old school wrestling psychology, which I appreciate, I'm wondering if there is consideration for what Kevin Sullivan did in Florida back in the day and how it compares to what WWE is doing now with the Bray Wyatt character in a contemporary setting. I mean, Sullivan and Trance Luna, which feels similar to the Bray Alexa angle. Uh -huh. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on the differences or similarities and why they work or don't. And that's another one we talked earlier about some of the people who have a problem with you not liking the spooky aspects of Bray Wyatt. They say, well, Kevin Sullivan did all this in Florida in the 80s. What do you say to that? 
Well, what is spooky about it, though, when you've got hand puppets on a bizarre children's show? And that's what I said earlier in the program. I'm not talking about, you know, Undertaker's supernatural shit. He, a seven-foot-tall guy that looked like a fucking Undertaker could work his ass off and had that fucking voice and didn't use hand puppets. And I don't, as the the comparison between Luna and Alexa Bliss, my God, Luna could today kick the shit out of half the male roster in the WWE. Alexa Bliss was a little, tiny little blonde Barbie vomiting black sludge like she was Linda Blair's stand-in. It, it's not a supernatural spooky Maybe one thing, supernatural, silly, or impossible is where I draw the line. The guy had gasoline poured on him and he was set on fire and burned to a crisp in front of us. I got a feeling that was phony. But, I mean, you know, I d if the people that want to like it are determined to like it and call it the same thing, whether it's Kevin's, uh, uh, you know, uh, fucking group, cult group in Florida. Or anything. They want to think it's the same thing because they want to justify it. If you saw it in real time, in context, and the way people viewed it and the way it was done, no. It was the no Kevin Sullivan didn't teleport anyone. No one disappeared and reappeared. Nobody changed clothes in the ice machine. Nobody was set on fire on camera and burned to a crisp in front of us, and the announcers did not ever say, Well, they burned him to a crisp. The people believed, the fans believed, because Kevin, they were an off, off-looking bunch of people, an off-putting bunch-looking bunch of people. Luna and Kevin and all of the various people that he brought in that group. Well, Gene Lewis became, what was his fucking name? God damn it, cousin Mordecai. Oh, oh no, you but cousin Lou, but he in that in that group down there. I forget he was which in one that. He was Malachi. And Actually, it may have been Malachi. 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 And 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 yes, they brought Mark Lewin, Purple Haze, out of the fucking ocean, and I stole it and did the same thing with Leviathan. You know what the difference is? The difference is that we didn't fucking make the motherfucker materialize out in the middle of the water. He. Just, it was a human being that was in the fucking water and walked out of it. And it was the heels that were being weird and bizarre and potentially worshiping Satan and or some demonic black evil force. And with the people that were performing that in Kevin's group and the way that he talked and did it, the fans believed that they were a bunch of fucking Satan worshippers, even though they never said Satan. Never said the word Satan. Dusty used to call Sullivan devil all the time. You little devil. The magazines did their own thing. And the magazines did their own thing, but it, it, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, we've told the stories that Kevin had fans literally chasing them and then there were fans fighting amongst themselves because he appealed to a group of satanists down there that used to come and see him and cheer for him and then the, the other fans burned those people's fucking 
van that they came to the matches in. It wasn't just phony, goofy, entertaining, ha-ha. It was done to make people believe that these people were fucking bizarre and, and insane, and they did. You want to compare it so, to one of Kevin's things? Compare it to the Dungeon of Doom with a budget. It's more like that. There you go. Yeah. And that, you know, that was after the corporate world at TBS had taken over and everything had to be hokey. So I can, I can tap out on that with you. But, but again, I'm not, I love horror movies, but I want them to be realistic. And I don't want them to be silly unless we're talking about Young Frankenstein, which is supposed to be a parody. I want them to scare me. I don't want to laugh at them. It's ridiculous. I want to laugh at a comedy. So the problem is not the supernatural overtones or aura of an Undertaker or Kevin Sullivan and his band of demon worshippers. It's motherfuckers teleporting out, out of and into thin air, being burned alive, animated fucking sock puppets that have minds of their own and, and people interact with as if they are sentient beings. That you can all blow me over. How's that? All right. I don't know how that is. I will ask the... Uh... I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. We'll continue on now here with the show. Well, a lot of a lot of people have been thrilled with it, I'll have you know. Well, there's no evidence of that, but Jim, let's continue hey. on with the show here. This next question was sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from Richard Horn. Can you discuss this? Good old Dick Horn. I haven't heard from him in ages. He says, you should discuss on the next program, and he sent an article here. The Eight Cringiest Moments of Kenny Omega's Career. Have you seen this article? I have not. Would you care to give it? But I'm all ears. All right. Well, let's go to this. The Eight Cringiest... Except for my gesticulating fingers and my twinkle toes. I'm all ears. This is from the Sportster. Kenny Omega is one of the most divisive men in all of professional wrestling. By holding the AEW, Impact, and AAA world titles at the same time, he earned the moniker The Belt Collector. Among other accolades, he is also the first non-Japanese competitor to win the G1 Climax. To his fans, he is one of the greatest wrestlers alive. With an innovative style and moveset, as well as the way he has opened himself up to the fans via his gaming streams and starting being the elite with the Young Bucks. However, his detractors are many and vocal with their opinions. Legends such as Hall of Famer Harley Race calling his work unsafe during a training seminar, and many other legends claiming he refuses to learn. The most common critique of Kenny Omega is the damage he has done to the industry through the way he wrestles, as well as the more comedy antics and his openness on gaming and social media platforms Kenny is well known for. That was a weird ending sentence there, but let's go now uh, to this Yeah, that, that was tortured syntax. Number eight, the cringiest moments of Kenny Omega's career is a quote. Listening to Jim Cornette is dangerous. <laughs> if Kenny Omega is divisive, James E. Cornette is polarizing. <laughs> Omega and Cornette have been engaged in a war of words for an age now. Cornette being the biggest critic of Omega. In a recent Twitch stream, Omega started shooting on, quote, old guys with podcasts 
naming Cornette specifically, claiming it was not only concerning that people in the AEW locker room were listening to him, but also those higher up. Omega then expressed uh, his... Wait a minute, I'm sure it does concern him that some people higher up in that company actually listen to common sense. That would concern me if I was the biggest joke wrestler in the fucking company. Omega then expressed his concern due to listening to Cornette. Wrestlers were wanting to stay safe. Ask any of his peers, his friends, and many enemies, and they will agree. Jim Cornette is one of the greatest wrestling minds of the past 40 years making Omega's talk of dangerous seem ignorant, a point raised by Dax Harwood in the Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor media scrum. So there's number eight, him saying that listening to you is dangerous, his cringiest moments. I would say that uh, taking into account their injured reserved list, working with anybody on that roster is a lot more dangerous than listening to me tell the truth. I think everybody that's suffering physical damage, that's getting hurt, that's taking an unnecessary risk, is it's coming from inside the house, Twinkle Toes. All of you self-trained trampoline cowboys that think that your video game moves are supposed to transfer to actual human anatomy in real life, and you find out very quickly that gravity is a harsh mistress, that's the fucking problem with Dangerous. I'm just pointing it out that y'all can't fucking stick your thumb in your ass on the first try without dropping somebody on their fucking head. Well, let's be fair, at least not dropping them on their neck. But Yeah, gotta stay away from the neck. Go straight for the head. Number seven, the cringiest moments of Omega's career, his Ring of Honor run. Kenny Omega and Ring of Honor would seem a perfect fit to some, and while his ROH feud of the year with Cody Rhodes was a huge success, his first one with the company never reached those heights. During Omega's short stint with the company, ROH featured talent like Brian Danielson, Roderick Strong, and a future Seth Rollins, all of which would be considered dream matches if booked today. While his fans cite youth and bad booking for his failure in Ring of Honor, his critics go back to his refusal to learn, claiming he failed because he stuck to the more spot-heavy style rather than the Ring of Honor style of building matches. But whatever side of the fence you sit, there could be no denying Omega's first Ring of Honor run. He showed no sign of the future best bout machine. How much of that do you remember? I wasn't, I wasn't even there. I, I think I saw one Ring of Honor show that he was on in like 2007 or 8 or something like, or maybe it was 6, whatever the fuck. And I don't really, and I wasn't impressed because, honestly, I've said this before, that was the night, you know, I'd heard from a couple of people, oh, that's Kenny Omega. And I watched, and he, he did the thing where he ran out, shook the ropes, puffed his face, made the funny faces, no basics whatsoever, odd uh, skipping, running into the ropes, the whole thing that he does. And I said, what the fuck is this? He said, well, he's not here a lot. He works in Japan. And I was like, oh, good. And the only time that I was there, in that was when I was just going to make shots. When I started in 2009, and I've told this story, he was only going to be booked on one show. I think it was Final Battle in New York. And that was Adam Pierce said, oh, we want to bring Kitty Omega. 
And I didn't really, I had never seen, I don't know if he had done at the time or I'd just never seen his matches with the girls and the sex doll and all that shit. I just knew that I'd seen him before at one of the shows and he didn't really impress me. You know, okay, if the fans like him, whatever. And then that's when Pierce sent me about a week or 10 days before the final battle show where he'd been booked or advertised or both sent me the email that he'd sent Pierce with a picture of an ankle with like gangrene saying that he'd hurt himself and he couldn't come. And then I, I said, well, I, number one, I don't care because it wasn't a feature match and I didn't think this guy was worth a shit to begin with. But is that really his ankle or what did he do to it? Or does he want you to believe that's his ankle? Is this guy nuts? Is he a weirdo? You know him better than I do. What the fuck? And at the time, I think Pierce said, yeah, he's a little weird, but I that that shouldn't be his ankle. It doesn't look right. It looks like he got it out of a medical book. Whatever the fuck, I don't care. And I've I've told that story, but then it's ma magnified amongst the people who like old Harpo finger fuck. Well, Cornette's mad because Kenny no showed a big match in Ring of Honor and then lied about it, and you know because he was working in Japan or wrestling in Japan or got an award in Japan or whatever. And that's I wasn't upset the guy didn't come because I didn't think he was worth a shit to begin with. It just registered on me that not only was he also a liar, but a mental case to take a booking, then send a picture of a fucking somebody's gangrenous ankle out of a medical school textbook and say he's hurt. If you're really hurt, then just call Adam Pierce, the booker, and say, I'm fucking hurt. Why did he send a rib photograph? I'm, you know, just it was again better off without this weird indie guy. No heat, and he was never booked again because he wasn't around. We didn't need him. I didn't want him, and nobody gave a shit. But, <laughs> but people try to. Say, oh, well, he no-showed Ring of Honor. The Everything that I have seen, both personally and professionally, of Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang, the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he thinks, the way he works, if he had called and said, no, I refuse to come to your show, that would have been the best thing he could ever say to me. So, uh, but anyway, so that's, that's the thing. I don't know about his first run in Ring of Honor. That long ago, he obviously was a lot greener than he is now. He obviously hadn't learned anything because he still makes all the same mistakes. But the vehement dislike and the distaste that I have for dipshit comes simply for the fact that he's a joke wannabe play wrestler that wrestled small children and inanimate objects in competitive matches in front of people. He thinks wrestling is a joke because that's the way he takes it. In his fucking muddled up mind, he thinks everybody wants to wander around in Japan and look at women dressed as schoolgirls and tentacle porn 
and play video games till her thumbs fall off. He's a joke as a wrestler. He would have been kicked out of any locker room in any territory in the business for being a complete mark for himself and a blithering simpleton when it came to the business. Somebody would have slapped him around on a regular basis because he's a twat and a douchebag. And I have no thought in the future of mitigating my opinion of him because I think about him the same way I think about everybody else that's ever shit on wrestling, tried to expose it, tried to tell everybody it was the shits and fake and phony. I think about him the same way as I do all of them, and actually even worse, because those were people who came out and said at the start, we hate wrestling. We don't want to see it successful. We don't like anybody in it, and we think it's all a bunch of bullshit. That's a lot more honest than a guy who actually not only wants to be in it, but finds marks and billionaire fucking child that wants to pay him a lot of money to be in a business that he still wants to make fun of and make look like shit and take public shits on every chance he gets. Talk about how silly and stupid it's supposed to be. He's making a living, a good living, better than he ever should have because of his talent, because of his money mark friend. He's making a living from the business that he shits on, exposes, makes look phony and fake and stupid, and then wonders why people like me don't like that. Fuck you, you fucking idiot, you curly-haired, twinkle-toed buffoon. It's plain as day to me. Well, number six on the list of his cringiest moments. Oh, shit, I forgot we're only up to number six. The Don Callis and Kenny Omega portrait. Oh, boy. Still early into his heel turn and his alliance with Don Callis after the two conspired to screw John Moxley out of the AEW world title, fellow elite members, the Young Bucks, were invited to Kenny's house for a clear the air as the Bucks <coughs> were still babyfaces and were confused by Omega's recent actions. In a segment that showed the direction of the character change, having longtime friend Michael Nakazawa as his butler and not being there in person, and Callis trying to bribe them to leave Omega's life. However, whatever message they were trying to get out of this was lost, as the only thing anyone remembered was that painting. We'll move on from there. There's not too much here, here, Well, here's one more thing. Uh, Michael Naka Naka to fuck off, and fucking Cutlet and the rest of them. What kind of piece of shit do you have to be? It's not being a good friend. To get your friend's jobs in a company that they have no talent for, no experience in, at, with, no, no nothing, no aptitude, no credentials to have jobs like this, but you get them jobs because they're your friends and the rest of the people working for that company that want to see it successful, that maybe need a job, maybe need income, they're being held hostage because spots in their company are being held up by school friends of the EVPs instead of people that would actually serve a purpose. I don't know. You think, is that being professional? Is that being a good EVP? Is that fiduciary responsibility? 
I don't think it is. Just since you brought up one of the Stooges. No, and look, they all have their Stooges. You know, Jericho, we've talked about Jericho's play right now. I just read Luther's now an agent behind the scenes. Luther! (laughs) (laughs) So everyone gets their friends' jobs and everyone tries to get them hooked up. You know what? I ran my own wrestling promotion. Not one time did I try to book Weasel Dooley to do anything. One of one of my oldest and dearest friends, but that was not his department. It's really his loss. I mean, if you had come around today, Weasel Dooley could have been executive vice president of some made-up division, but Jim, number five, the cringiest moments, cosplay wrestling. <laughs> Omega, as well as being one of the top names in wrestling, is an avid gamer with a separate <laughs> following on his gaming channels, and his social media is dedicated to both industries. As a gamer, Omega has thrown himself into the culture, including incorporating cosplay into his wrestling. (laughs) While some tributes to games or characters in that demographic for his big match entrances have been truly memorable and awe-inspiring, that isn't always the case. Awe-inspiring? According to this article here, the most notable examples are wrestling a match as Princess Jasmine from Aladdin while in Japan, yeah. mm-hmm. and the AEW Ghostbusters skit, where him and the Elite came out in costumes that looked like they had been ordered off a cheap knockoff website. Cosplay wrestling, Jim. Well, that's what—that's their area of expertise. Every time they get in the ring and put tights and boots on, they're cosplaying. They're dressing up like something they're not. Wrestlers. They pretend to be wrestlers, and that's his thing. Oh, the, the the genie outfit, those pictures, and that video looks real good on Twitter by the star of Sissy Boy Slap Fight. He's constantly going out trying to make a fucking spectacle of himself in a, in a negative way to appeal to... I don't know who this appeals to. Who does it appeal to see a supposed grown adult male professional wrestler have a match while dressed up like a fucking genie from Aladdin? Who the fuck does it appeal to to have a supposed grown adult man have a competitive match with a blow-up sex doll? How does it... Who is the audience for a grown adult man having a competitive match with a six-year-old girl? Well, you've knocked a few more off this list. Again... Who is the audience for this? A bunch of weirdos in Japan that this guy fetishizes. I don't even think the standard Japanese citizen, who have nothing against the Japanese people, as I've said before, they're very fine, educated, industrious, honest, hardworking, and polite people. But there's a subset of them that likes even weirder shit than the subset of people like here in this country. And part of it is this whole thing that Olivier has wrapped himself up in, and it's holding the wrestling business hostage with his foolery. And he's a piece of shit, and I don't like him, I'm never going to like him, and I got news for you. If something horrible was to happen to him, I probably wouldn't cry. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't threaten it. I'm not even going to publicly wish for it, but I can't say I would be brokenhearted. Fuck. Well, you hit on number four on the list, wrestling a blow-up doll, so I'll save you the description there. Yeah. Number three on the list, 
his involvement with Chase and Rance. Oh, and it, yes, he does have a a circle of social friends that seem to like the schoolgirls too. Well, I don't, funnily enough, I don't know about his circle of friends, but according to this, Chase and Rance is an American wrestler and was booked on a CEO and New Japan Pro Wrestling cross promotion by Kenny Omega. Omega received backlash after fans pointed out Rance was a convicted pedophile who was on the sex offenders registry. Omega apologized to the fans, saying he never knew, <laughs> but wouldn't be used on any show he was booking from then on. Look at here, look at here. Everybody in the business heard about that when it happened. And, I re- and, and I'm going to say either I was still in TNA at the time or was in Florida at some point when the local guys in Florida were talking about it, but it was in the Observer. It was in every newsletter. This was not a, a, a secretive thing way in this guy's past. And I don't know what the exact charges were, but the fact that nobody knew anything about this or that Twinkle Toes could act like he didn't know anything about it is ridiculous. Because who else is named Chasen? How could that be anybody else? It's such a dumb name, but let me continue on because where we've just finished, it says he said he would never book him again. I'll pick it up. Unfortunately, this hasn't played out. While Omega has been true to his word and never booked him on a show, on multiple occasions and in multiple promotions, Omega would lease Rance's wrestling ring for shows, <laughs> including the Sting and Darby Allen versus Team Taz cinematic match on an AEW pay-per-view. Well, there you go. Number two, the exploding barbed wire death match. <laughs> we don't really have to go through that. And actually, of all the cringy things on the list, I don't blame Omega for that at all. No. Uh, we blame the the company for biting off more than they could chew, as Mama Cornette used to say. They couldn't do it. It Hey, TNA botched the electrified cage. AEW thought they were going to have a fucking explosive ring and do any better. Well, thank God Eddie Kingston was there to save Moxley. But number one on the <laughs> list, the eight cringiest moments in Kenny Omega's career, wrestling a child in stardom. Kenny Omega's list of <sighs> opponents is a veritable who's who of 21st century wrestling on both sides of the Pacific Ocean. Actually, I would term it a veritable who's that of pro wrestling, but nevertheless. One opponent you won't see on a who's who is Haruka, a nine-year-old girl. The match happened in Japanese promotion Stardom in 2011. And by the way, by the way, this is another thing. Uncle Dave legitimately reports the activities in Stardom like it's a goddamn legitimate wrestling promotion. Women and blow-up dolls. For the record, I don't know how much of this still takes place in stardom. I'm going to ask, because I actually thought they were doing serious women's wrestling now, but I don't know. Again, Well, it, wait a minute. Isn't that like government intelligence, jumbo shrimp? It's mutually exclusive. Serious women's wrestling. We go ahead. Oh, come on. Well, let me go back to this. There could be no denying that Omega and Haruka had a tidy little competitive match, <laughs> highlighting Omega's ability to get a good match out of anyone. Oh, Jesus However. Christ. For many he of the can't vet- get a good match out of himself. I, I, you know what? I, I bet you somebody had to teach him how to jack off. Maybe Don Callis. But well, at the invisible is. hand. Oh! <laughs> 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 now, 
all becomes clear. <laughs> oh, it all becomes clear. All right, well, let me finish this off. However, for many, that's what Don Callis said. Now we'll go back to this article. However, for many of the veterans, this was the genesis of the heat with Omega. Unhappy yeah. that this match exposed the inner workings of wrestling in a way never before seen. Yeah, so at least that article had a happy ending. Well, Jim, perhaps you're a longtime wrestling fan. Perhaps you're an American wrestling fan who in 2011 traveled to Japan to live out your lifelong fantasy of seeing Japanese wrestling live and in person, and you happened to walk into Karakin Hall on the wrong night, and you saw Kenny Omega wrestling a doll, wrestling a young girl, sticking his fingers in someone's ass. I don't know what was going on over there or how it was allowed. But maybe you want to sue. Or maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do do want to sue, I know who should sue for you. Oh. And I played it early, so I'll do it again, folks. I was trying to figure out how to get out of that. <laughs> I did it again. Hold on. <laughs> Call Stephen P. News. If you need to sue an outlaw mud show or two, those are the rest. That's right. He will sue you know who for you. If you need to sue. That's right. That's right. And I'll tell you, he's been making news, too, as our friend Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. I refer everyone to a recent article. Is there a date on this? This was October the 5th. It's recent, last week. In the Register Herald there in West Virginia, I don't know what city, it's register-herald.com. You can find this, but West Virginia legislators say a recent federal civil action lawsuit regarding the conditions and treatment of inmates at a jail in Raleigh County is shining a light on the state's aging correctional facilities, which are also facing critical staffing shortages. And legislatures, this is important, legislators are also calling into question a recent investigation conducted internally by the state of West Virginia into some of the conditions alleged in the lawsuit at the Southern Regional Jail in Raleigh County. By the way, Raleigh County is where Beckley, West Virginia, is located at. I've been sued there, but not by Stephen P. New, or elsewise I'd be a broke dick dog right now. Anyway, the report released in late April stated that allegations that inmates were deprived of clean water and food, clothing and mattresses and medical care were false. That's what their report says the internal state report. But a lot of other people saying they want to get to the bottom of this because there were alarming allegations made in the lawsuit filed by our friend Stephen P. New, which include everything from the beating of inmates by correctional officers to broken toilets infested with maggots. And like we've said before, if you can't even be safe when you're in jail these days, what's this country coming to? But According to the complaint that's been filed, inmates housed at that facility are forced to live in filthy, unsanitary, and dangerous conditions and are denied cleaning supplies 
To remedy said conditions, black mold is present in inmate cells, inmate showers, air vents, and grows on the clothing of the inmates. Plumbing is a major issue. Described in the complaint as so inadequate and in such a state of disrepair as to constitute a serious threat to the physical and mental well-being of the prisoners. No running water, constantly running water, broken sinks, toilets infested with bugs. And this is not just a lim uh, uh, limited to that one facility. Apparently, there's other jails in the state. And now a bunch of people are hopping on this because this suit has been filed by our friend Stephen. And as well, West Virginia Governor Jim Justice is trying to get to the bottom of things. But I want to read one thing to you. Delegate, I believe, a D-E-L period. Brandon Steele, he's an elected official in West Virginia. I believe delegate would be to the House of Representatives, right? I believe that's his title. But they're saying, or he's saying, those jails were designed at a time that the opioid crisis didn't exist. They were designed in 1990 through 96. And now these jails, because of the opioid crisis of the last 30 years, are overcrowded at two and three times the amount of people that they were built to house, which tells me that already Stephen P. New has been suing on behalf of the opioid-addicted babies and on behalf of the people that were the pregnant women and the other people that were addicted to opioids because of the misrepresentation of some of the pharmaceutical companies. Well, this is a part to play also because all these people are in jail because of the opioid crisis that was foisted upon them. It says the regional jails were not created as a long-term facility. It was a short-term facility for misdemeanors and folks that are pretrial felons that couldn't make bond, but now they're jammed over there because of the opioid crisis and the people that, uh, that are addicted and have the things they have to do because of that addiction. But listen to this. One more quote, Brian, that I found here, according to Mr. Steele, the elected representative there in West Virginia. In cases like this, attorney Stephen New has a track record of exposing problems like this and doing it in a manner that is on the up and up. I have no reason to doubt the veracity of what Steve New has put out there. So even, even the elected officials that are getting called on the carpet by Stephen P. New and the minions at newlawoffice.com, they still say, well, he's got a track record of exposing problems like this, and he does it in a manner that's on the up and up. So if you want somebody to expose you and do it in a manner that's on the up and up, folks, Call the law offices of Stephen P. New, newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. He's all over the country like Sherwin-Williams covering the world, not just in West Virginia. You can be almost anywhere. If he can't do it, by gum, he'll have it done. Contact him today, especially if you find yourself in jail in Raleigh County, West Virginia. That's right. Stephen P. New, a great man. He can help you. Call him today. We'll give you more information at the end of the show. But, Jim, let's get a few more questions in and wrap things up. This one sent to Corny Drive Through at gmail.com from Brian in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Hello, Jim and Brian. I love listening to the show. 
I just watched Tales from the Territories, Andy Kaufman vs. the King of Memphis. I've always been interested in this story, and I watched a show about a year ago, plus I saw Man on the Moon, that touched on this part of his life. They mentioned that Jim Cornette was a photographer in the show, so my question is, what does Jim remember about this, since he was there during this time period? I thought the Foxy angle was a work, but Lawler <laughs> insinuated it was a shoot match, and he also said the slap on David Letterman was not planned. What was Jim's take on the angle and this episode? I remember it ran on and on for weeks with the original angle, him hiring bounty hunters, him and Hart arguing, then him tagging with Lawler, the whole <laughs> back and forth angle for several weeks in Memphis. Oh, it was like a year and a half after the initial 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 match it was a year and a half until finally i think they wound it up like november of 83 which was the last time andy had come down he had just found out that he was sick and had cancer and obviously that's the only reason he didn't come back um okay and and obviously the the program the tales from the territories that was just on last night as we speak that he's referring to uh, last week, it was just Memphis wrestling in general. This was the uh, Kaufman-centric episode with Lawler and Dutch and Jimmy Hart, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. And uh, by the way, 10 o'clock Eastern time on Vice TV for Tales from the Territories. Um, my mother would have got a bigger kick out of watching that show last night than she would have seen me on television in person because so many of my pictures were were featured on that show, the Kaufman and, and the stuff with the picture of Foxy on top of Kaufman and Andy looking like a rat trying to find a corner in a silo was mine. And my mother always got a bigger kick out of seeing my pictures somewhere than she did even when I got on television myself. It was like, well, back when he was just a young teenager and he did that. So 40 years later, she would have gotten a big kick out of it. Anyway, that is exactly correct. The matches with the women were not set up in any way, and Foxy never got smartened up. There's going to be another program on, on Vice's YouTube channel that will feature me, and I'm trying to get an exact air date. I haven't heard from them, but uh, a program that they have called I Was There. I shot some stuff last month for that, which is uh, the program is a first-person recounting of if you were present for a historic or famous or infamous incident or whatever. And the, the deal that they did was the same as he was doing in the nightclubs and on the, you know, like Mike Douglas show and whatever. Anybody that wanted to wrestle him, any women, they would volunteer and then they would use the applause of the audience to pick, you know, who, because I mean, he couldn't wrestle 15 women. They at easily 15 his first night in Memphis, volunteered to do it. All shapes and sizes and colors and ages. And then the audience applause would pick, you know, whoever. And I think they narrowed it down to three or four. And I've mentioned this, that Andy wasn't a amateur wrestler or collegiate wrestler, anything like that. He, he was interested enough in wrestling and he had seen enough and he knew enough as Lawler said in the Tales from the Territories episode, not to let him get him on his back where they could pin him. He'd always try to stay on his stomach. But more importantly, Andy was a, an entertainer. He was used to being on television. He was used to being in front of crowds. These people were normal women, convenience store clerks or 
you know, whatever, that just went to the matches and decided to do this as a a lark, and they they would get nervous. And they didn't know how to breathe. They didn't know how to wrestle. They didn't know how to, you know, stay calm. And they would get intimidated. And within a minute or two, even if one of them looked promising early, they would blow up and just, you know, be easy pickings. And the thing, the first week in Memphis with Foxy, she was, oh, she might have been five foot five, but she had to be 200 pounds. She was uh, portly. And the first thing that she did, and now bear in mind, Andy's gone through the three easier ones first, right? And the first thing she did, they showed the clip. She didn't know what a leg dive was, but she got him by the leg and picked him up and went forward and took him down and the place blew. And then she got on him for a while. And I think that I still can't remember, but that first week's match, I believe went to the three minute time limit. Cause that's the three minutes there, the time limit he had on all of these. Cause he wasn't going to stay out there all night and you had to beat him within three minutes. So at that point, Lawler and Jared had been sitting at ringside and they both saw that this, you know, there was life in this. And they went to Foxy and asked her, well, they went to Andy and said, well, you want to come back and do it again? Oh, yeah. So they got a hold of Foxy. And I mean, I th everybody had signed releases. And Lawler talked to her and said, hey, I think I can teach you and give you a few pointers. You want to come back next week? And they actually, for, for the first, and as far as I know, the only time in the history of professional wrestling, they booked a return match where one of the participants didn't know that it was a work. They never, they could, they weren't going to smarten her up. She was a regular fan in Memphis and she didn't need to be smart. If she had, it would have blown the whole thing. Lawler gave her a couple of wrestling tips. I don't think anything she could probably use legitimately, but she thought that she might. And then he brought her out on TV. Yeah, could Lawler teach she, someone how to prevent themselves from being put in a shoe in a hole? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, but I mean, even, and and he wasn't teaching her anything that she really could beat Andy with anyway. But the beautiful thing was, if Andy got beat, it didn't matter because the people came to see it. So they brought it back and Foxy is convinced she's going to win. And that's what was her downfall. And they showed the footage of him pinning her because she was so fired up when it started. She was blowed up, you know, before it got started. And she still didn't know how to breathe. And it was still in the Mid-South Coliseum. And imagine a wrestling fan in Memphis getting a chance to wrestle a network television star in front of thousands of people in the Coliseum, I'm surprised she didn't fucking faint. And he ended up as she got wore out and he beat her. And then he started abusing her and everything. And Lawler came in and they did their business. But Foxy to this day has never been, well, if she's still alive now, she knows. But I guarantee you the first time that she probably realized that she was a, as the kids used to say, a prawn in the game was when she saw the movie Man in the Moon, if she did, and and realized that it was a work. Because most people in Memphis at that time bought the Lawler-Kaufman deal because, as I said, I have market research. My cousin's wife was the nurse 
head nurse on the floor at the hospital where they took Kaufman to. And I was still the photographer then, but she knew enough through my involvement and or later on when I got to be a manager, they really knew there was something going on with wrestling. But she said when she came in that night, boy, Lawler really hurt Kaufman tonight, huh? Because when's a, whenever else has a national TV, network TV star gone to the hospital for no reason and stayed there for three days on his own dime if nothing happened to him? There was no reason for him to do that, which is why people believed it. And he knew they would. That's why he did it. But anyway, getting back to, no, Foxy was not smartened up. None of the other girls were smartened up. and They only played you know, cameo roles in this thing anyway, but, but no. And the, the beautiful part about it was it actually wouldn't have come off as legitimate and as real looking as it was. Cause it was real. If they'd have smartened Foxy up, then she'd have tried to be a actor like all the rest of the wrestlers do when they, when they, when they, somebody smartens them up. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I didn't realize that was the end there. Let's move on. Well, here. What, was there any other part of the question? Just any other memories of the entirety of that feud? Because again, the feud started when you were a photographer. The feud ended when you were already a manager in the business. So it's an interesting time in your life while all that's happening. Yeah. Well, and and God damn it, when they really had a, a run in '83 in the summer when Lawler had had uh, got the book and was really putting, you know oomph into it and Kaufman was putting out bounties and joining and then splitting up with with Jimmy Hart and bringing in names from the other territories that's when I was always they were in Memphis I was in Batesville Mississippi they were in Louisville I was in Osceola Arkansas they were in fucking Lexington at Rupp Arena as in goddamn Steel Missouri I was on the buttermilk run so I, I missed a lot of those matches I would have seen more of them if I'd have still been the photographer and I missed being on those gates and getting those payoffs. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was the law of diminishing returns after a while because everybody believed the first match between Lawler and Kaufman, because it was unique. It was, you know, just, it was so preposterous. It had to be real. And the job that Lawler and Kaufman both did on it, Con as we've said, convinced more people that pro wrestling was legitimate than anything in the last 30 years. But then when he came back and, you know, and, and, and obviously started being involved in handicap matches and, you know, putting out bounties, then he became one of the, the boys. And then it wasn't like an outsider that was totally unique and something different. It was Okay, it's different this network TV star is involved in the wrestling, but now he's one of the guys on the card. And just Andy Kaufman, his presence by itself didn't send anybody into turmoil, but they still got some good angles out of it and, you know, and propelled the thing for a while, like I said, until finally the last time that he came in the territory. He'd, he told Lawler, and, you know, he didn't mention it to anybody else. Jimmy Hart, told the true story he said Andy had a cough and Jimmy said oh you probably just got a cold from the weather it's cold down here blah 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 but he never came back after but by then it was it was not 
a once in a lifetime thing to see Andy Kaufman on a wrestling show anymore, but he still had heat with people. He never broke gimmick. He never broke character. And the people, he had an innate ability to manipulate people's emotions. He and Lawler were two sides of the same coin. They were the same age. They had gotten started in their respective show business about the same time. And they both had the ability, if they wanted to, to tell somebody a story and make them believe it no matter how preposterous it was. And they both had that in their respective fields. They both had that ability to make people get wrapped up in what they were doing or saying and question their own, you know, uh, sense of whether this is real or not. Does he mean it or not? Is he, is he really a foreign man from Bulgaria or, you know, whatever? It, so they were very similar people, and it was just it was a magic combination. Is the biggest misconception that it did strong business from beginning to end? Yes. Well, I mean, because they're going to, and I mean, let's face it. I understand when Lawler's on national TV talking about his match with Andy Kaufman, he's going to say it sold out and turn people away. Because if he was to say yes, I actually, if he was to tell the truth and say. I sold out the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum seven times in 1974 alone against the Sheik and Jackie Fargo and Ricky Gibson. Nobody would know who the fuck, right? And it, it would take more time to explain, well, the Andy Kaufman-Lawler match on May 5th, 1982 actually drew a little over 8,000 people, which was up from the previous week. But that's was very good for the time of of um, 1982. Spring was not mega box office business for Memphis, but Andy did increase the house. But remember, that was a weekly show that was run. So 8,000, 6,000 people a week, that was still good business. But it didn't sell out because the matches of Lawler's that sold out were important wrestling matches involving the blow-off or culmination of a feud or a long rivalry or after some hot angle. Lawler and Dundee sold out numerous times in 1977, sold out again in 1983. Lawler and, you know, like I said, Jackie Fargo or The Sheik sold out numerous times, but that doesn't make as good of a story as Lawler and Kaufman selling out because this is the match that's being talked about 40 years later. So they fib a little bit and put 3,000 more people in there. Well, Jim, let's get at least one more question, one last one here on the show. This one was sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from JT in Morristown, Tennessee. My old hometown. Hello, Jim and Brian, and thank you for continuing to put out, uh, to put, excuse me, and thank you for continuing to put so put much effort. Put out that cigarette, as Mean Gene would say. Thank you for continuing to put so much effort into giving us great shows. I was listening to the latest experience, and when it got to the part where you were both discussing MJF's stardom, it suddenly hit me. He's currently at his Steve Austin in 1997 point. Everyone knows how good he is, and people are starting to cheer loudly for both him 
and his way of doing things, even while he's portraying a heel so effectively. At the same time, he hasn't gotten himself to the point in storyline that he could have a huge decisive win for the belt at the biggest show. In terms of stars, MJF is the heir apparent, but what do you think it would take to have him actually earn his crown? Uh, boy, there, that was a long way around there. Um, I don't see the comparison to Austin in 97 because Austin in 97 was a heel, yes. But at the same time, he was a loner. He didn't exhibit, the only heel tendencies he exhibited were being a foul-mouthed, guy who would jump you from behind or do anything to win. He didn't run from anybody. He didn't back off from people. He didn't, he wasn't a smart ass that insulted people, especially insulting the fans. He wasn't, as I said, he was a loner. He wasn't a guy that depended on stooges or teammates or partners or whatever to to handle some of his fighting for him like a true gutless cowardly heel he was just an unsavory fucking guy that people started admiring and looking up to because he wouldn't take shit off anybody and he had a man's voice a man's attitude and a badass way of dressing and looking at things and it was anti-establishment and anti-authority and take this job and shove it the Johnny Paycheck country music fans were the first one to jump on the rattlesnake, but everybody started, that was completely different than MJF, who is pretty thoroughly in every aspect a heel, unlikable, untrustworthy, will use other people to fight his battles, will jump somebody from behind, will take advantage of someone, will back off from a face-to-face -face confrontation, will verbally annihilate somebody when the opportunity is there, but then show fear and or trepidation if they're there in front of them. The reason why everybody is cheering MJF now has nothing to do with the reasons why they started cheering Steve Austin then. It's not they recognized Steve Austin was a good wrestler because there was a bunch of them at that time, they liked Steve Austin, the person's philosophy. Don't trust anybody. Austin 316 says, I just kicked your ass. I've, you know, I hate the boss. I'm going to fuck. That was what was appealing. All the guys at that point wanted to be Steve Austin and act like him and do those things. Now, the reason why they like MJF is because, number one, that 25 years later, everybody's smart to the business. They know that it's complete performance through and through. And so they're looking at good performers that entertain them to watch them. Secondly, there, since they don't have to take it seriously that MJF is a liar and a cheater and a thief and cowardly, whatever. They could appreciate his performance, which people were only starting to look at in the 1990s in wrestling, the mainstream wrestling fan. They didn't give a fuck about the performance as long as it didn't look phony and they liked the guy. 
That was fine. Now it's work rate and or the ability to do a, a, an interview, a promo, and, and fucking scorch the earth verbally. That's what they're looking for. They're not wanting to be mad at a heel or support a baby face because it's all a bunch of bullshit now. And since at the same time as that has happened, there's a dearth of entertaining wrestlers, either verbally or physically. All the matches look the same. They're all car wrecks or sloppy shit with untrained guys that fucking, you know, every match is the same. You're all, you're just going to see chaos. Nobody sells shit or in the WWE, they made their matches mostly boring. So they're not going to get entertained by that. They're, they're, nobody can fucking say Suey if the Hogs had them anymore, much less cut a good promo to really fire people up. And as MGF said, make them feel. So he's head and shoulders above that crowd. And nobody's putting together matches that make logical sense and get the point across and build to a conclusion anymore because they're too worried about getting a bunch of dives in and making sure that the newsletters give them a bunch of stars and everybody's flipping and, oh, this would be cool. I saw it in a video game, whereas MJF's matches, as his effort with, oh, Wheeler Useless last week uh, showed, he doesn't flip. He works. He's the only one working anymore. He makes you want to see shit and then takes it away from you until the last minute. And he doesn't just bump for the sake of bumping for everybody because he knows that first he has to piss the people off so they'll want to see him have his comeuppance. So he's got a mind, he's got a mouth, and he's got a physique that he knows how to use in the ring. He's ahead of 90% of the other people in the business, and he's more entertaining than almost all of them. So that's why the people are cheering for him, because it's better than watching these children emulate their wrestling heroes and do tribute matches, or of the fucking trampoline cowboys, or the fucking goofy garbage match bullshit. It's all the same, except for guys like MJF. The reason why all of that other shit used to get over in the territory days, a death match or a fucking flying guy or whatever, is because it was different and unusual. Everybody else was wrestlers that knew how to talk and work and either tried to make you mad or make you like them. Now he's one of the only ones of those left. Everybody else <laughs> is diving and doing moves and trying to get on reality television and fucking having fun with their friends. And MJF's out there running a business. So they like him. And that's a natural byproduct when people believe nothing and you can't convince them anymore because so many people work against... The, everybody in wrestling is actively every day on social media and in every interview they do trying to resist and fight against the fact that one person that day might actually believe something in wrestling was, that happened was real they're going to make sure nobody believes that they're going to fucking fight that at every turn so that's why nobody gets over and everything's all bullshit mjf is special because he's entertaining 
and fun to watch in a time when most people aren't. And since nobody believes anything is real, they're cheering for the devil. And there you go. Well, there you go. And with that, we close the drive through. Let's get at least one song and get the hell out of here. This one was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Sam from the To Be or Not To Be, the B-Movie podcast. Well, let's get his song here. It's a confusing name. A lot of bees. A lot of bees there. Let's see how this song be. <laughs> hey, don't you want me to gob goddamn cut that fucking window and cut you? said but the other ones were- i understand marco stud had a dildo up his insides but uh, uh this is uh it's 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 a punk rock beat with my dairy it's, queen it's the over- beastie boys it's sabotage it's- by the beastie boys oh I- okay i'm glad you know that yeah it's a great song i, I knew you got to fight for your right to party that was them right Produced by Rick Rubin, yes, off the first Well, level. there you go. That's the that's sum total of Beastie Boys I know. Well, we don't get to hear the rest. Uh, oh, uh, hold on. Let me, hey. let me try to figure out where we were. Hey, there we go. Thank you, fuck you, bye, boom. <laughs> I wouldn't have stopped it before if I thought that was the end. It goes off for another, like, hold on. I'm just going to fast forward. It goes on for another four minutes. All right. Well, oh, thank my you. God. Thank you, Sam, from To Be or Not To Be for your first time submission. Try again. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, but send more. That was all right. Wait wait a minute. Hold on. Or potentially even. That's what I meant to say. But let's go to this next one, our last one. This was sent to Corny Drive through at gmail.com from... CR in the CBNL, Chris Rogers in Corner Brook, Newfoundland, Canada. Garbage can, oh garbage can. <laughs> All right, everybody, gather round. What kind of wrestling do you want? Oh no. No DQ? Yeah. No rope barbed wire? Yeah. Flaming super kick? Yeah. Anything you want. You've come to the right man. Cause I'm the garbage can man. Who can take a table? Who can take a table? Set it all on fire. Set it all on fire. Smash it with a baseball bat that's wrapped up in barbed wire. The garbage can. Oh yeah, the garbage can man. <laughs> the garbage can man because he mixes it with blood and a bunch of stupid shit who falls off a ladder who falls off a ladder through 86 light tubes 86 light tubes and no one in the crowd has ever touched a pair of boobs the garbage can 
CR and the CBNL, congratulations for your garbage can man praise. These Canadians, they've got a personality. What's happened the last few years? I don't know who you're asking, but with that, the drive-thru is closed. (laughs) All right, well, we'll be back at it this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, and we'll return next weekend on Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Get access to the archive patreon.com slash cornet archives of the drive-thru and the experience going back to 2013 five dollars a month patreon.com slash cornet subscribe to the official jim cornet youtube channel for full episodes clips of episodes omnibus collections and so much more all with the exclusive travis heckle artwork check it out today the official jim cornet youtube channel you can follow jim on twitter at the jim cornet you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And don't forget The Wrestling News at thewrestlingnews.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Also on Twitter at Wrestling News AV. Free daily wrestling newscast. No paywall, no clickbait, just The Wrestling News, thewrestlingnews.com. Jim. What's going on at Cornet's Collectibles at jimcornet.com? Chaos and controversy. We are signing action figures as swiftly as action figures can be signed and boxing them up, and the feather bottoms are taking it from there. The early uh, figures have started arriving. The first ones sent out, they are steadily going out, and we are, I'm going to say, 60% done with the orders from September 17th, which, of course, my birthday was the big backlog, and then things will start moving more quickly. So within the next 
three to four weeks. If you've got an order outstanding from the month of September, you're going to have it. Bye, Cracky. Keep on piling them up. JimCornette.com. That's right. JimCornette.com. Don't forget, the drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at NewLawOffice.com. But until next week, right here on the drive-thru, and this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bomb fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of Cornettes. And to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines. With blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Pedro, everybody. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.